Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slasher fix, and cult classics. Officially licensed collections include titles like John Carpenter's The Thing, Evil Dead, Creep Show, Jaws, and so many more. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. There goes the neighborhood. Fright Rags is proud to announce their first official collection of the burbs uh featuring all six new shirts for the joe dante classic film which means they know that you know that i know that they know anyway all officially licensed and available now at fright-rags.com colors of the dark listeners get 10 percent off when they use code dark 10 d-a-r-k 10 at checkout i think you're chanting ray i think you're chanting in 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years and Fangoria is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com now to learn more and subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code COLORS, that is C-O-L-O-R-S, to save 25% off your yearly subscription at www.Fangoria.com. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. I am your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane. You can call me Underground Elric today. Underground. I think- um, I'll be explained later in the episode. I'm, I'm Psycho Pike. Psycho Pike. Psycho Pike. Psycho Pike. Pike. I'll take it. <laughs> so, but before we get to our incredibly awesome guests, we have watched a ton of stuff. And um, I, I, I we went- start with apologies. Yes. Apologies to make. We have a big apology to see. Oh my gosh, guys. So we are unfortunately not going to be going to Crypticon. Um, and we, we feel really shitty, but, um, yeah, we, we, uh, have a gig here in Los Angeles that, well, I have to finish a film. Um, and yeah. So it's not because of COVID. Cause I do, I know people are on their website thinking that it's just us being, uh, which is also a decent excuse. Yeah. It's not, COVID. it's not. So, so do please support them. We really wanted to go and we will get there sometime. Yes. Uh, so go please support them. Cause I'm sure putting on a con during such crazy times is very difficult. So I have heard so much good stuff about Crypticon. Um, it's one of the cons that I've been wanting to go to for years. So we were so excited to go, but unfortunately um, I have a work thing that is unmovable and that I have to do that weekend. So unfortunately. So remember well, on all the tweets are hashtag blame Becca. Hashtag blame Becca. Blame I Becca. deeply apologize. Yeah, okay. And um, uh, yeah. She had a good excuse. So it's okay. I can't, I can't not do it. So yeah. But, um, but I will hopefully have more on that soon or, or you know, news will we'll be releasing something soon on that, but I have to do it that same freaking weekend and I need more time in my life. But um, anyway, so we do deeply apologize, Seattle, but we will say that we will be at Midsummer Scream talking some aliens with Jonah Ray in um, just a, two weekends. We will be there. I think it's the weekend of the 14th and 15th. Our showing is on the afternoon of the 14th. So in Pasadena, at Midsummer Scream, 
we will be doing our first live show since the start of the pandemic. And I'm excited. We will reveal if aliens are real or not on the show. We're going to try to get to that conclusion if we really think. And which is the most succinctly proves it yeah that's uh, so i'm just gonna say aliens are real i mean like that's not a debatable thing elric Mm -hmm. of course they are but yeah we're that's one of our topics for the aliens breakdown is um which film do we feel like gets it right if we if we have to speculate what aliens are which one which one kind of gets it right um and a lot of other like you know which one's fun which one's funniest which one's scariest we got all different types of places to go and discuss some crazy aliens which i have to say is one of my favorite subgenres that I don't get to talk about very much. Yeah, there are a lot of good alien films because I, I think the 80s made them super. I mean, obviously the 50s in a big way, but in the 80s, I think there was a lot of fun stuff again. So, yeah, we so. see a lot of aliens in 50s and 80s. But then honestly, like now, there's not a lot of alien mm-hmm. films being made. But um, I think that I think, well, we'll save this for the, the show. But I think that's about to change because this year is there's a lot of people just literally on the news, including military guys going, yeah, of course, UFOs are real and we're dealing with it so i think we're going to start learning a lot more not necessarily aliens but like things that can't be explained are going to be uh, the focus again i think yeah we're gonna get back to it so plus you know films tend to follow technology and the other theme of this year is uh you know fuck it let's all go to space yeah true. why not i got yeah. like billions of dollars we'll just fucking go to space yeah so, let's have uh, i want to see extra but with a billionaire who's gone to space and comes back all fucked up and weird you know all fucked yeah. up and weird yeah which is even so. scarier a guy with a billion dollars it's, it's the man who felt her that's what it is did um, you ever see the russian film sputnik that i kept recommending yeah yeah, yeah. no i watched ago. it back then yeah, yeah no i watched yeah. it then that's i watched like, around the same time yeah. i love that just the astronaut yeah. who comes back and doesn't remember Yeah, those kind of stories are great yeah. i mean it's uh, but anyway let's save that that gives yes, you a little that, tease. that's our tease because you know oh oh i've got it ourselves. i've got it no i've got the perfect segue because i did see a new alien movie which is uh you know a massive franchise i'm gonna rush through my big i actually watched a, like more than i normally do of new stuff i don't know why really? i don't know how it happened i just like suddenly was on a run maybe we didn't do a show for a while so yeah, anyway we did a deep cuts last wednesday well deep cuts but this was new stuff so so I oh, did. Yeah. Uh, so just quickly, and I won't take long on the new ones because oh, take your time. Quiet Place Two finally saw it. Um, Great. Here's the clue. Here's the nice tip for everyone that somebody gave me. Paramount Plus, the new streaming network, is free for nine days. Ooh. They have Quiet Place Two. They also have lots of like Picard and lots of other Star Trek stuff. If you're into Star Trek, so um, I went on there to watch Quiet Place too. I don't know if I'll stick around, but you know, I'm just telling you the facts. That's what. But they you offer. can watch it free for free for, for free. nine days. Yes, on it's on Amazon. Plus. I watched it just. Uh, it's really well made. Um, I I liked the first one a lot, and I was really glad it was a big hit. Um, John Krasinski makes this movie is equally well made, but it had a interesting. I think he didn't set up. I think he sometimes with sequels, and I think he did this. I think he took for granted that we cared about the characters in the first, and then mm-hmm. he didn't have to set them up again in the second. So he just kind of keeps going. But I didn't care about anyone even for a second in this movie. Not once did I even worry, really, even though the whole movie's about you worrying about people. I just didn't feel the connection I did in the first. That doesn't mean it's not really slick and really well made. And it's a bit more Walking Dead direction because now they're entering other people. The first one, they're by themselves. And Killing Murphy's really good. Um, as kind of a guy who was an old friend of the family and they run into him and he's now pretty fucked up. And mm-hmm. a little, he's not he's not a bad guy, but he's darker figure. But, you know, the aliens, I always find the aliens of this the least successful part. I find the tension, the way they shoot it and the way the buildup is really good. Once you actually see the alien in full and the kind of open pedal face and stuff, I'm always like, yeah, it's OK. But once you get used to that, it's still, you know, it's a little too uh, computer generated in my mind, you know. 
I was, yeah, I was the same where the aliens were never, at least in the first one, I have not seen the second yet, but the the aliens were, they were, it was okay. Um, But I loved the family and I loved the post-apocalyptic world and the holy shit. How do you have babies in a world where you can't make sound because children never shut the hell up? Um, So yeah, it was, I, I was much more intrigued by kind of the larger concept that they had set up instead of the actual aliens themselves. But yeah. But it's good. And I think you, I think you should definitely, you know, I think you'll, it's it's a fun I, I you know it probably would have benefited like a whole star quite honestly mm-hmm. by the theatrical experience because watching it at home it was fine and i enjoyed it but it it is one of those films where a couple of set pieces like especially the opening are really big screen set pieces like it's impressive um and i think i probably would have enjoyed if that was the first movie i saw out of the pandemic like some people did i'm sure i would have liked it a little more but i just thought it was okay but you know again just letting you know a good way to watch it uh paramount plus brand new service uh and then the other new you know new new of the just to clear them off, because then I've got more interesting ones. Uh, Purge Forever Purge. Oh, how was that? You know, uh, so this is a, what. Well, for a while, I've been saying they need to, and this is no offense to the writer director, but they just needed to move away from the auteur vision because he's been writing directing each one of them. And this one is by someone Everardo Gout, and I I thought it was actually pretty good. Like it's got some issues for sure, but it it takes basically the idea that it's Purge Day on this ranch in Texas. Josh Lucas, you know, has some good talent in it, is a rancher. They have uh, like immigrant immigrants working on their ranch who the father treats well, but Josh Lucas's character doesn't take seriously. And, and but he's not cruel, but he doesn't, you know, he's he's not great anyway. So you see these factions and then Purge Night comes and everyone in this family hates Purge Night, which is kind of refreshing. So Josh Lucas isn't playing like, you know, he's not full of hatred. Uh, they lock up for the night and then you find out that there's this rebellion group who have decided of white militants basically want to mm-hmm. purge America of anyone who's not white American. Um, yeah. It's a little close to reality, sadly watching this. Um, he, they basically go, no, the purge it's the next day and the purge gates open and they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. This is now the forever purge. And so it's basically the whole point is purge night is over when the movie's kind of starting and it's all about the new, the purge that will keep going uh, oh, the wow. following day. So suddenly the immigrants are under attack and then the family's under attack and they have to kind of come together. So there's, there's actually some really nice parts to some nice pieces, some decent characters, but there's always, I, I talked about a, a, a lot every time this comes up because I love the concept of purge so much, but mm-hmm. I always can't help but go if this was like 1970s, and this is an exploitation series and you've I've got Fred Williamson and I got like I'd be this would be the greatest fucking hook ever created. But it's a little too clean for mainstream movies. It's a little too glossy, even when it's violent and people are dying. I don't really believe when people are dying. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it is I thought it was probably the best since part two, uh, which I quite like part two. I like um, part two. Yeah. So I think this is but so I think it's worth worth checking out for people. But again, it has some some of the similar kind of my uh, students problem. argued about this one where okay. it was very much like a camp of students who thought it was really good, like better than part three. And then I had another set of students that were like, no, it's too on the nose. It is it's, just too on the nose. It's pretty on the nose. Messaging. I'd say right now it's, you know, it's kind of <clears> painful <throat> to watch some of the groups who are flaring up in this and you're but, going, oh yeah, it's right out there, right outside like we're seeing that. All of the purges have been on the nose oh, yeah. Yeah, since yeah. Uh, the first one. Um, that, but the like, world has gotten worse. Since, yes. Like the first couple where the world was actually in that bad a place and then i re- i'll never forget it was that election day one i watched it. it it came out earlier but i watched it the night of the election so that I was remember feeling so out of 
my skull after that. I remember that it was this huge thing because that's when I was still working at Blumhouse and it was this huge thing that we were running the trailer for it during the debate. Um, And so you were literally watching the the very first debate between, um, you know, Hillary and Trump going down. And then there was the trailer for Purge 3 kind of, you know, satirizing it to a degree, but, you know, kind of. Yeah, seriously. And yeah, um, yeah, it was this huge, huge ordeal. But yeah, it was. But, yeah. Um, you know, but some yeah, people, you know, and, and had legs. Yeah, they have legs and they keep getting made. So, you know, at least mm-hmm. this one went for a little something different. And um, and so, yeah, I just want to get them off because I've got I've got more less franchise ones uh, to get to. So, so I just want to kick it off. New stuff that I, well, I will say I watched the new spiral finally Um, the new saw yeah, film. Put that in um, here because it's so franchise. Yeah. yeah. This is definitely like, you know, and I, from where I was shooting for so many weeks and didn't get to watch anything. It was when like quiet place two and saw came out. So I'm trying to circle back and catch up on some of the stuff I missed during that time. Um, Spiral, you know, I, I liked a lot that they did in this. I liked that they did not try to connect it to Jigsaw, that it was kind of like, there's, there's a, it's just a whole new killer. And they say that from the beginning, like Jigsaw is dead. Oh, it's a copycat. And that is established in the first 10 minutes. And then it goes from there. And some of the things that they did with that and kind of the iconography that they give the killer, I found to be interesting. The traps I definitely found to be interesting. Um, I will say that somebody, I was reading the reviews on, I think it was IMDB today and somebody just wrote cop tropes, the movie. And that kind of was, was the downfall for me is it is just every cop trope from every buddy cop, another 48 hours, um, or, or hardened 1980s, you know, you can't handle it. You know, Zamowski type cop film that you saw that it's in this, but that said it was, it did ring as a Saw film. It did take itself very seriously. Um, and I don't know how I felt about Chris Rock in this yet. But that said, he did what he did well. Um, it, it, for some, it was not the Chris Rock we're used to. So I was still kind of trying to, to digest it. But that said, he did what he did well. It was almost too intense um, for me. Like it becomes comical because he's so intense. It's, it was he's hard. intense. Yeah, he's very intense. And in yet, it. like anytime Sam Jackson's on screen, you're like, can I just watch that guy? Because he's so good. He's so natural every time he's on screen. He's not on screen enough. But I will say that the one thing that I noticed was a little bit different in this is, um, and, and I will say this in kind of vague obscurity so as not to give any spoilers, but the prior Saw films, the tortures towards people tended to be more about self-reflection. Like if we think like even just Shawnee Smith's character, it was all about kind of coming through this like self-reflection and realizing where you have steered wrong with your life. It wasn't in, and a lot of times it was just like personal sins of like, you know, here's the thing that I did that destroyed my life. And through cutting out my best friend's stomach to find a key, I have discovered the wrongs that I did in myself and become a redeemed person. That element is not in this as much as like, you fucked up and here's your punishment. Um, So yeah, it it lost a little bit of that kind of redemption for me. Technically, that's that's a different genre. Yeah, it's different. The other films had to have the redemption. This is more of the big R genre when you think yes about it, it so, is you know. this is very much kind of right. like no not so much of redemption as much as like you fucked up now here's your torture you have five seconds and yeah. um yeah so it did feel different in that capacity that said it was very watchable i still watched mm-hmm. it and was like you know kind of grateful that we still were getting soft films so yeah. it was a nice revisit for me 
So I saw one that I didn't. Uh, I'll do well, last last one I didn't really like, and then I've got th- a few that I really liked. Um, one from Hulu called False Positive, uh, which is directed by John Lee, uh, written by Alana Glazer, who also stars in it. This one hit Hulu, and I'd be curious what you would think of this one because it was a. It's about a a woman's trying to get pregnant. She's having a lot of trouble. She's married to Justin Thoreau. She goes to see his fertility doctor, who's played by Piers Brosnan, and he's got these cutting edge techniques. And they, uh, you know, they inject semen into her, and it's all. And then basically, when it gets interesting, it it is about they find three that she has three fetuses. Two of them are male twins, and then there's this girl. And when she says, you know, the guy says, "Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to remove one." for the other to grow. Otherwise I think this won't work out. And she's like, you know what? She comes to the decision on her own. I I think I really want to keep the girl. And the guys kind of go, Oh, I really think you should keep the boys. There's a better chance. There's two of them. And she's like, no, I want to keep the girl. And it's kind of about men not following the uh, choices of the woman. And it's that kind of story. So it's a, it's an interesting setup. It goes kind of Rosemary's baby light. Mm -hmm. I found it felt more, so the title's false positive. It felt more like one of the episodes of um, Enter the Dark, Into the Dark, the series that they've been doing, than mm-hmm. it did its own standalone movie. Uh, I wasn't wild about the lead. I thought she was interesting, but there's other actors in it who are like, oh, that actress is more interesting. Or And I, not, to, not that I want to slam her. She also wrote it. Uh, but I was a little, I, I just didn't necessarily believe the, the tonal shifts between kind of kind of goofy at times to like very serious uh in terms obviously the story is super serious and how it's treated but it is well made it's pretty slick and you know i thought it was interesting it's it's on you know it's it's on hulu if you have hulu maybe check it out and see i pierce brosnan is kind of fun to see playing as this doctor i'm not gonna say any more about the plot because you know it's you know it's you kind of feel like you know where it's heading but it's kind of fun to see it play out so that's false, false positive, positive. yeah, okay. which was new too when you were away. I think that one just was new to a new release on who. And weirdly enough, it's made by A twenty four, which is really weird because it's yeah. the least A twenty four thing I've ever seen. It, it's way more like a lifetime version of a horror thing than it is an A twenty four thing. So well, kinda- they're branching out. I will say, like some it's of the true. stuff yeah. that I've heard they have in their pipeline, it's not it's not A twenty four y. But did you see Green Knight? Yeah, I did, which is very A24. Yeah. <laughs> it's the <laughs> ultimate A24. But it, I liked it. I thought it was really, really well. I have not seen it yet. Is it, I mean, I've heard it's not horror in any capacity. Oh, no, no. The The first hour is pretty, I think the first 40 minutes is pretty, a lot of horror elements. I mean, it's it's a guy coming in and, you know, a giant green thing. You don't really know what he is. Is he, he, he looks like a knight, but he's like green and made of organic material. He comes in and says... Uh, one of your people will cut me or do something to me. And then one year from this day, I will then do whatever was done unto me to that person. This is a classic Arthurian legend. Mm-hmm. And and don't listen to the next three seconds if you don't want to spoil it. But this is just the hook. It's a very classic story. Uh, the young kind of dumb knight gets up and cuts its head off. So one year from then, that knight is going to go have to face the thing who is going to cut his head off ostensibly. And that's, it becomes the story of the quest to go and fulfill one's duty uh, after making a promise. And it's, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fascinating movie. It didn't all completely land for me, but it's beautifully made. And it's, and it's, you know, it's got some pretty tense stuff. It gets a little meandery in the middle, to be honest. And that's probably mm-hmm. where it undoes it a bit. But the the setup is pretty tense because it's, you know, it's a pretty messed up thing. Um, yeah. Messed up idea, but it's a Christmas movie too, which is kind of cool. 
I do love that they're tackling an Arthurian legend. Yeah. Um, yeah that, you cool. know, they did say, you know, let's let's do something that is kind of not what would seem to be the normal topic for a horror yeah. film. So. But the story, but the um, style is very much in the vein of a lot of A24 films, which is not a complaint on my part. I like mm-hmm. A24 films, so... So the other kind of, um, I watched two other new ones, um, The Call on Shudder. And this was actually one that I had seen a couple of people on the uh, the Colors of the Dark fan group, um, our listener group, uh, After Dark, talking about. And so I was definitely intrigued because the setup sounded kind of cool. It's got Lin Shay and Tobin Bell in it. So I was like, okay, well, if Lin's in it, I'm in. The setup is that it is the late 1980s and a group of um, this guy has just moved to town. This teen and his family has just moved to town and he immediately falls in with this group of kids who have this tradition of every year on this particular night, they go and torment this woman in town. Mm -hmm. And this woman used to run a daycare and one of the girls who's in the groups sister disappeared at the daycare, like just completely disappeared without a trace. And they never found her. But the whole town thinks that this woman who used to run the daycare played by Lynn Shay, is a witch and actually killed this little girl. And so every year on this particular night, they go and they torment her and they stand outside her house and throw stuff at her. And they've done horrible, horrible things to her throughout the years. Her husband is Tobin Bell. In the movie opens with this guy moving into town and a group of kids get, gearing up to do this again. And hey, there's this local witch who killed her sister. Um, we're going to go, you know, torment her again. And then, um, and this is not a spoiler, this all happens really, really quickly where something happens to Lynn Shay. And then something happens that she kind of, you know, starts terrorizing the kids. Hmm. And a lot comes out within that. The setup of this and the hook and even kind of into the first act, I was like, this is a really cool hook. This movie lost me in a couple of points. Um, And I will say, like, I've seen people on Shudder just saying, you know, that they really did enjoy this. Um, Lin Shay and Tobin Bell as kind of this elderly couple in town who have spent their entire, you know, the latter part of their life just being tormented by teens and everybody in town thinking that they're demonic is it's a really cool setup. Um, But I'm not sure why this was set in the 1980s. And that's kind of where a lot of my my confusion with it came in, is it feels part of the time it is trying to be this very kind of 1980s kind of screwball horror film, group of kids joking around, being funny, hair teased up to the moon. Oh my God, like totally. Um, and then it gets really dark and serious, really dark and serious. And so it's doing something kind of weird that I did not quite, it didn't sit as well with me because it did feel like there was this weird tone going on between these moments of kind of screwball 80s um, style scripting and then going into these like incredibly dark moments. Hard to do a filmmaker's uh, tonal balance if, you know, it's a lot easier for first time filmmakers, especially to make something very simply tonal wise mm -hmm. versus when you, you know, it's a hard thing to pull off. So I I get it. It's yeah, this was it was it was a bit of a mix for me. And I wasn't sure why it was in the 1980s like that's and I mean, 
the the biggest thing because I mean I read scripts all the time that are set in the 1980s. It's something that a lot of screenwriters do, and the biggest or the 90s even. And the biggest reason yeah. is well, we need to get around cell phones, and that is a huge hurdle because when you're writing a slasher film in contemporary times, if you you know group of kids trapped in the woods, suddenly everybody has cell phones. Um, so the fact that you're being chased by a madman is easily reckoned with when you can just call the police or your friend and say he's coming for you, Sarah. Like it, it becomes this massive hurdle that as a screenwriter, you always have to try to figure out a way around. Um, and so that's why, you know, it's, it's continuous that, oh my God, I'm out of battery. Holy shit. We're out of range. How could you leave your your phone in the car, Randy? Like, it's just this constant hurdle of everybody trying to lose the phone. It's exactly yeah, it's- why this year when I, when I just decided to make an India, I was like, I'm going to make one that's all about the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because just lean, lean on into it. why we use phones too much. Cause I agree with you. I, it's really tough otherwise, you know. So that is my guess of why they put it in the 1980s to kind of, and because the idea of the landline becomes a part of a thing, it becomes part of the plot later on. So kind of, you know, rooting it in that. Um, but that said, I feel like there is a version of this that was in contemporary times that may not have as many tonal um, kind of mm-hmm. oddities because it did, it did kind of ride this line between like the kids at the opening of Return of the Living Dead and then this really serious, dark, supernatural film. Um, so, but aside from that, again, the first act, the hook was great. The the execution, a little different. But that said, you know, people on Shutter, I've seen a lot of really positive reviews for it. So what the hell do I know? Well, no, um, but you can't hit them all. I've got two later yeah. that are two of the best I've seen recently on Shutter. So it's Shutter's, Shutter's still batting a good average here. Um, yeah. I watched one from... Um, the Netherlands called Tailgate that I saw a couple people uh, this mentioning. Is, yeah, I, you were recently. saying that this is supposed to be really good. It was good. Yeah, no, this is good. The next four, all, all of the next last ones, I, I like all of these for different reasons. Uh, this one's pretty simple. It's And here's the thing. I, I definitely I put this in my letterbox review only so people will not make a mistake. I started watching it. And if you just push play, it will come on the American dub. And it's really really bad dub like it i was five minutes in and i was like i can't handle this and then i found a way to change it to netherlands but unfortunately it also when you go into uh which is is it netherlands what's dutch probably um once you change into the language the problem is it also does the thing like it'll describe everything it's like closed caption which was a Mm -hmm. little annoying but it was still better than watching it with uh, the american dub anyway so that's just a tip if you're gonna watch it um it is this family on the road they're driving to grandparents house um the dad is kind of a little self-assured, a little full of himself, driving way too fast here and there. And he, at some point, starts on a very busy road. He's got two little girls in the back and a, a wife, and they're kind of all fighting. Uh, in other words, a family road trip. Uh, and he gets too close to the car in front of him, and the car is being a real dick, and it's just not going fast. It's this truck that you've seen in a cold open, so you already know it's got a menacing quality to it, which I don't. I kind of wish it didn't have a cold open this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they, he he kind of really gets in its grill and eventually pulls ov- off next to it and like kind of stares the guy down. And the guy has the guy's like a the guy's more like a sixty five year old looks like a retiree, but he's very tall and very very serious looking. Um, and he kind of stares him down. They the family then are gassing up and getting burgers for the kids, and this guy who they had kind of uh, saw on the road pulls up and starts talking to the kids in the gas station, but kind of, it's kind of inappropriate. He's kind of 
commenting on what they eat and how the mother mothers and it's like kind of weird and so the dad kind of flips out at this guy and the guy just watches him and says well you better apologize to me for talking to me like this and the guy's like what i'm not fuck you and the family get back on the road and of course this car keeps falling and keeps falling and it keeps building to the point where they pull over the guy basically uses like gets in a full body like white uh spray suit and then takes like bug uh like um things that you would spray to chemicals that you would kill plants with uh, uh, weeds and basically comes at them with the stuff. And it's like really kind of out there because it's on the, just on the side of a road where anyone could see it and it becomes super menacing and he just keeps coming for them. He will not give up because he wants to be apologized to. And it goes all the way towards becoming a home invasion film in the last wow. half. And it was really cool. It's really well made. It's tight. It's nothing you haven't completely seen before, but in terms of the tone it's doing, it was a good movie and I, I enjoyed it. Um, it, you know, it didn't feel like the most original uh, concept, but, but because the guy is just so kind of stoic and um, he looks more like an older professor than he does the bad guy in a movie. It kind of worked for that. Um, so that's called tailgate one word. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that That's going on my list. Um, so I will say that Woodstock 99 is by far the scariest movie I will likely watch this year. Not horror, but um, damn, that shit, like, remembering the late 90s, I was suddenly like, oh, God, yeah. things." I didn't even remember. Like- I was talking to Brian about that. I don't even remember that particular Woodstock. I remember the one before it, the Mud Trent Reznor one. Yeah, I remember 94 <laughs> really fun. well because yeah. I've talked about this moment before because it was such a huge defining moment of my teen years where I had chicken pox. Mm. Um, and I didn't get them until I was like like a sophomore or junior in high school. And um, I had them so bad that I was hospitalized at one time. This is why you get the chicken pox vaccination now, guys. Um, but I didn't have them until, you know, so late. I ended up hospitalized for a couple of days. And then I was home for, it was close to a month that I was unable to go to school just because it, it shut down every system in my body. And um, I remember my mom getting me the 94 one on pay-per-view to watch and it being this big deal of like, okay, well, everybody else is in school and or doing stuff. I think it was, that was probably towards the beginning of the summer and I got to stay home and watch the Woodstock. Everyone covered in mud. Yeah, everyone covered in mud. Um, and that was around the same time that I went to every single Lollapalooza that they had in the 90s. And so it was just, you know, this wonderful kind of concert um, festival utopia. And then 1999 rolls around. And by that time, like the the kind of Nirvana, um, you know, we're going to change the world with our social messaging was over. And it was just all angry white dudes. And that's mm. all that is there in Woodstock 99 is just this like pure, like angry white dude rage. And oh man, it gets rapey. It's yeah, awful. Really? It's awful to watch like the shit that went down there. And just corporate greed across the board. (laughs) It's fascinating. I I will say it's a fascinating study um, into kind of, you know, how the Woodstock belief system translated into this and the idea of like the only water available there was $4 bottles of water and nobody was going to pay that. So they Mm. broke into the convenience store and, or the, um, the, the booth that was selling them and it just like one thing after another. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was a fascinating one. That one is, that is on HBO max, not HBO Plus, I don't know the difference, but I have yeah, I don't know both. And yeah, I don't yeah. know pluses. I know Max is the Wait, mainstream. Maybe service. it is Max. It's, it's not on Max HBO. if it's a big film. I don't think it's on H. Whatever it was, it was not through my app. It was on Amazon. 
Um, so oh, okay. yeah, it was, it was a little different, but yeah, it's good. If you just look for Woodstock 99, it'll pop right up. But anyway, um, the other new one that I watched, and you'll be hearing a lot more about this on deep cuts next week and more on colors of the dark, um, in two weeks is I am technically at Fantasia right now. Um, Ooh, which is, uh, which is, and I think Elric is joining me there in a couple of days, um, at Fantasia. Oh, and watching yes, on. I'm yes. traveling to... Montreal. Yes. Yes. So uh, since, um, th- since, you know, the pandemic is still ongoing, um, this year, Fantasia, last year, Fantasia was online and it was, I, I have to say, like, I love going to Montreal. I've been to Fantasia four times now. And there is something so fun about going to the film festival there. Cause it is like every single one of those is like, it's her summer camp. Like you're, you know, with these people for a week or more, and it's just a massive, you know, celebration of movies and going out and, partying and doing karaoke afterwards and everything. Um, last year there was something kind of fun. I was, um, it was when I was in a camper going cross country, watching all of the Fantasia films in a camper in my sweatpants. There was just something kind of wonderful about it. And, uh, I got, I'm getting to do the same again this year. So Fantasia is once again online. It, that means it's available to anybody. So even if you, you know, could never go to Montreal or probably wouldn't, this is a fantastic way to see all of the films that are playing at Fantasia this round. But they're not all they're, up at once, right? Like some are no. up and then some only come up for a day or something. Some will only come up for 24 hours. So some of the big ones um, will only run for like a 24-hour stretch. So you kind of have to know the day. Um, but even still, that's pretty awesome that, you know, oh, for yeah, 24 yeah. hours, I can just, I have to watch it somewhere in there. So like I've actually set alarms on my phone that says you have to watch Deep End House tonight you have to watch night house when is tonight. that one deep end. i don't yeah. know off the top of my head i'd have to like search it's gonna my come phone. up again later version yeah I, I, one of um, the on my list here yeah so there's there's a couple of them like um you know the the new cyan sano film um i saw that, that one you at know sundance, yeah. yeah you saw that one at sundance that it's running for 24 hours so i've got like alarms set on my phone but then there's other ones that are available the entire time so last night I watched Agnes, mm. which I'd heard a lot of hype about. This one played at Tribeca, I believe. It did. Yeah, um, Mickey, Mickey Reese, right? Mickey Reese. And I have to say, like, Mickey Reese has made a shit ton of movies, and I have seen none of them. No, I haven't seen any um, either. And so, and as soon as I started looking at the reviews, um, deciding, you know, is this one that I really want to check out? Everybody was like, oh, this is Mickey Reese's best film. He's grown so much as a filmmaker. And so I have no history coming into this. Um, From what I've gathered from Mickey Reese's past films, it's very much like he's a very talky filmmaker. Like it seems to be a lot of like, you know, five people in a house having conversations. Mm. This is that for part of the movie. And then part of it is not. This does very much, Agnes feels like two very different movies. And so I will give you just a tiny bit of either so that I do not spoil either parts of the movie. The setup is that there is this very remote nun or convent where this nun is exhibiting symptoms of possession. And so it's this big question of, is she possessed? Is she insane? She's like attacking the other nuns. She's screaming stuff. She's going bonkers. (laughs) And the Vatican dispatches two priests, one who is definitely kind of like, um, he's, he's got some demons of his own. Like you, they, they're, you realize that about all the priests is most of the priests in the movie have demons of their own. Either they themselves are abusers, they're alcoholics, like none of them are like, 
pure and pious to the the hundredth degree. Like everyone in this movie has demons. Um, and there's a reason like they're in the church as like they were running from something. And uh, so these two priests, one who is older and has a bajillion demons of his own. And then this younger one who is, you know, really pious and trying to do the right thing and is starting out his priest journey, um, you know, trying to really kind of do the right thing. Are, are sent to this convent to try to decide whether or not it is a real possession. And then that is the first part of the movie. The And I won't say any more about that. Just two priests sent to this convent to investigate a possession. The second part of the movie then follows one of the nuns in particular after the possession event. The second part of the movie is not horror in any capacity. But the first part, oh, fucking goes there. Like it is it is straight up possession movie. And then the second part is much more kind of a, a very um, well done drama just following a nun and why she chose to be a nun and what she's doing after, you know, and how she's battling with her own faith and, you know, seeing her best friend go through this alleged possession because it was her best friend in the nunnery um, or the convent, you know, and so it's much more kind of a drama on that. So it really is two movies in one. Do not expect it to go like full possession the entire way through. Mm. That said, I really enjoyed this movie. Like there was just something, even after I realized that it was doing what I'll call an exorcism of Emily Rose um, style thing where I was like, yeah, yeah. like the first part straight up horror. And then the second part, I'm like, this is not horror in any capacity. There was still something really fascinating because I was really engaged with the character by then. Um, The nun that you're following around is played by this actress, Molly Quinn, who I'm now just completely enraptured with. Like she Mm. just was uh, electric on screen in every capacity. So I will now watch her in anything. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this one. And honestly, midway through the movie, when I saw the switch happening, I was kind of like, I don't know, but I am so glad I stuck with it. Um, just cause it, it got really art housey and talky, but I was still there. Okay. Well, let's, so. yes, we'll both watch a bunch for the next colors. Uh, yeah. Two weeks from now. We'll say so that was our deep cuts Agnes. Me. So I highly recommend everybody kind of, you know, hop onto Fantasia and, and, you know, see if there's anything that you really want to see. Cause there, I, some of the f- horror films that are coming to theaters throughout the next couple of months, including one that we'll probably be talking about on the show next colors of the dark, hopefully um, right, right, are yeah. playing at the festival. Cool. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, I started to poke around and I started making a list of things I want to watch. So yeah, haven't jumped in yet. Okay. Um, so before the pandemic, me and you were at a film festival called uh, panic fest and mm-hmm. we ran into uh, a young producer, Beth Crudell, who turned out to be the roommate of Clay Keller, who is uh, the screen drafts host and friend yep. of ours. And she seemed really nice. And she was there uh, for her partner's uh, new film, uh, and his name's Andrew Merrill, uh, called Rot. Mm-hmm. And I was meant to see it at the time. Well, I, I wasn't meant to see it there. I didn't have time. But like, I think maybe they sent it to us and it just kind of fell through the cracks. But my feeling at the time was, oh, this is going to be super small. And like, because that's kind of what she said. Um, and, and it is on some levels. But but uh, it's finally just hit shutter. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I want to check it out. And, um, you know, this is a really interesting movie. It, it it got was getting really not good letterbox reviews overall. And that doesn't always mean anything. And so I, Mm-mm. I wanted to watch it and you know, this is an indie that has 
so much ambition in terms of the scale of the story it's telling um, to the point where maybe that's a little bit of the fault, but I, I really like this movie. This is a, I kind of viewed it as it's like Robert Altman's sprawl and lots of different characters, but a Cronenberg shiver. It's very much a shivers story uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, with a mumble gore, you know, in that the kind of, you know, early 2000s horror realistic, uh, you know, non-actor type vibe for them. Not that everyone's non-actor. Um, and it just it basically starts with this girl who's who's really serious into her university studies and her boyfriend's about to propose to her. He works at a hospital. And when he does, she actually says, actually, I need a break because I need to get serious about my studies. When he was at the hospital that night, this older woman um, infected him with something, but we don't know what it is. She kind of leans in and kisses him. And now he's got something that starts building. Then it starts going to all the different characters around LA, this, this transference of something. And I don't know, even now I'm not a hundred percent sure I fully know what that is, whether it's a kind of rage or kind of a invasion of the body snatcher mind melt, but it's interesting and it keeps growing. And that's the part that's really ambitious. The part that doesn't quite work, but makes it an interesting movie is that you kind of forget the lead character and her through line for quite a long period of the movie. And you go with all these other side characters as you see the horror spread and spread and spread Mm -hmm. in in LA. And I found that to be, it's kind of an interesting thing sometimes with a movie that the thing that is also super interesting about it is on a kind of core, core script level, maybe not working, but it's Mm -hmm. interesting. And I, so I, to me, it was, I I really liked it. And then it goes to somewhere I, you know, I think some people, this just isn't their kind of movie uh, on Letterboxd, but the last 20 minutes goes to kind of a more, more eighties bonkers kind of ending. That was actually very surprising given the tone of the rest of it. Um, And maybe a little like kind of hereditary in terms of heading to a big ending like that, where everyone's kind of worshiping this one guy. But I, this is a horror collective release. I got to say, I was really glad I watched it. It, it's far more interesting than most low budget horror films. I think in terms of what it's trying to get to and its references are, and it's always a serious horror film. It's not tongue in cheek at all. It's it's, it, it reminded me a lot of different aspects of things I've written, which was always, it's always interesting when the, that kind of tone comes up in somebody else's work and you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting for good and bad. Sometimes you go, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into weird shit <laughs> that doesn't always completely work, but is always interesting. So anyway, I, I just wanted to make sure I gave it a shout out because I was a little surprised at how some people were taking, if your taste is not towards any of those things I'm talking about, then probably it's not for you. But if it is, and you're, and you find that you haven't seen a lot of recently indies that maybe take big, interesting swings. I think this one was going for some interesting stuff, much more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I don't know why I thought it was going to be a much smaller. Um, it's kind of a lot of contracted vibes, but I much preferred it to contracted, to be honest, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, contracted is a more A to B idea, which is a good idea. But I like the execution of this a little bit more. It's a little more interesting. So um, mm. that's rot. Um which, you know, the title, I think they said they only just added that title at the last minute. It was going to be like a place, this place is hell or something like that. So it's, I don't know what the right title would be, but anyway, give it, give it a shot if that's your taste. Cause I dug it. Um, and glad I watched that one. So, uh, good job, Beth. We didn't get to tell you that at the, uh, yeah. at the, uh, festival cause we hadn't seen the movie. Well, I'm going to get weird. And yes. Deep. I like it when you get weird. Okay. Yes. Oh, good. You're going to add the one that I'm very curious about. I'm getting weird and deep y'all. Good. This is, so let's round out this segment of the show before we get into our even. Oh, I still weirder- have two new ones after. So oh, I'll, oh, you go, you, you go. go. 
No, I'll segue with this because this oh, is weird and okay. shit. Okay, I'll Go do ahead. two Shutter ones because um, one I have very good reason to do. Okay, uh, two new ones on Shutter. One I hadn't heard of and one I was been waiting for. One I've been waiting for is called Boy Behind the Door. It just landed this weekend. Um, this is by the guys who made the Gin, the Gin last year or even this year. It's kind of like because the pandemic. It, it's I did not like that film very much. It was a pretty good setup, very low budget film. Uh, young boy trapped in the house with a gin monster coming for him and i thought it was well made but it didn't really gr- grab me it just didn't really do it for me this um is also not a most revolutionary idea but it's the like two boys are um kind of terrence malick walking <laughs> lots of touching of of trees <laughs> and sun dappling through the forest as they in their uh baseball uniforms they're probably about 13 and the, they lose the ball for a second and one of them goes down the hill the other guy looks for him and then he's his head is smashed against a tree and you don't know he wakes up in the uh in the boot of a car and he is like trapped and doesn't see his friend. And you then find out that they are both. Did you just say the boot of a car? That's the boot. That's the back of the thing. What's it called? With the uh, the, the trunk. The trunk. Yes. The okay. Trunk. Just and, checking. And where, where I come from, we call it boot. Okay. And where I come that's... from is Brooklyn. So don't, <laughs> in Brooklyn, we say boot. <laughs> no, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but they, he wakes up in there. He goes and finds his friend in there in this big house. There's a man watching TV. In this big isolated house, his friend is uh, trapped downstairs in a basement with a collar thing uh, tied to, you know, uh, tied up chain to a wall. And it's got a very um, kind of it's kind of a disturbing. Oh, this is going to be sexual abusers like you get you, you. It doesn't need to push it. Luckily, thankfully, it doesn't overly push having to endure that. But you kind of get the feeling pretty quick because you see the one person leave at one point and trade money with somebody who then is coming in and they do a good job of never showing you the person who is in this house like it's always from like weird angles you can't actually tell who it is and then that person leaves and trades money with somebody gives them money to come into the house for a set amount of time so you can your your mind is pretty like oh that must be what this is going to be about um so the guy who who has escaped the trunk it's just about him trying to free his friend while they're trapped in this house the whole movie takes place in the house. I'm not going to say much more about the story because there are actually a couple cool reveals. And this film is so taut and so tight. Uh, you know, the very ending, I was like, oh, yeah, ho hum a little bit. But man, like of, of the thrillers this year, this is the one that moves and just keeps just the pure filmmaking is keeping you in this movie all the way through. I thought it was, yeah, can't recommend it enough for, you know, people looking for that late night. It's a thrill. But here's the really cool thing. And this is just a, a total humble brag. Uh, my, This is the first film. Uh, one of my students has gone on to be, a uh, is the editor of this film uh, from my film school that is only, he's in the first graduating class. So that's only been like three years of graduating students. So it was so exciting to see him, like his name's Stephen Boyer. This isn't like one of those things where you watch one of your students do something where you're like, oh no, that's student good. Or, or I thought that was pretty good. Honestly, was one of the best edited films of the year. And I'm like, I'm kind of blown away that he did it. So this this guy is going to be working. So if you made a horror film, and you watch this. This guy is going to get gigs because it, it's so well put together. This movie, um, just on a pure uh, visceral kind of move tension uh, level. So I was very excited, very proud to see him go into that. No, no, no part, nothing to do with me. He was already a good editor when I met him a few years ago, actually. So very cool. Well done. If not that he'd be listening, but well done. Um, and that's the the boy behind the door. Really cool movie. Regardless, that one I was looking forward to. This one I didn't know about. 
and this is actually my favorite of all the ones to talk about. Uh, it won't be for everyone, but this is actually one of my favorites of the year so far. Uh, Candisha. I think you're going to dig this. Okay, yeah. I have this on my watch list. I, I'd seen a picture. I, had, I thought it was like a film from India or something. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, one of my students had recommended this one to me and said that I would totally dig uh, I think you'll well. dig this. So so it's... And once as soon as I saw her director, I was like, what? So you were just talking about the Deep House thing we want to watch, mm-hmm. the one underwater? That's these directors. So this is Bastila Amari, who made Inside and Livid, and then a few other films in between that haven't been as interesting. Um, and... I just haven't heard anything about this. I saw the artwork. I was like, what? Okay. This is like a Candyman teen film in France. Uh, really cool mixture of the three, three main girls are like uh, all different races, all like taggers. They're doing art on the wall, all kind of living in kind of more impoverished areas. And they're all like hanging out in like derelict buildings. And so that's part of the Candyman vibe. At one point, uh, one of them has had a bad, uh, you know, breakup with this guy who's a little obsessed and gets a little violent with her. Earlier, they had seen this word Candisha written on one of the walls, and one of them didn't know what it was. And one of them was, uh, I believe, she's was she Middle Eastern. I can't remember. And she, but she knew the myth of Candisha, which was this woman whose I think husband was killed in the Persian War, and then was she was abused and then killed, and she vowed to come back to kill any man. It's very much any man who comes across her, she'll kill any man for any mm-hmm. reason. And so uh, one of the girls uh, gets, uh, get, you know, gets the bad end of something from her ex and goes home that night and starts kind of uh, making a vow to Candisha. And then Candisha comes back very much like Candyman. There's a lot of parallels to Candyman here, but I don't think that's a bad thing. The, the start, you know, it's pretty good. And I'm in this movie and I'm watching this movie as it goes. And then there's about two or three big gag reveals like horror moments because at first you just think it's a woman wearing a a sari sari and you can see her eyes and kind of sexily going ghostly going about her business messing the guys up all their friends it's are being killed off uh then there's something that like i haven't had as much of a jaw drop since the ending of dipper logan that big moment it's got a couple of those oh that is like a gauntlet yes and his his house had one as well his house had one of those too where i was like oh this has two of them and instantly went from being like, oh, this is a good three-star movie. And then, but then I was like, oh, fuck, this is one of my favorite things so far because the gags, there's about two or three towards like the halfway point. So I am not going to say more there and I'm not going to even hint at what it is. Um, but it was awesome. And, you know, the movie itself is, you know, it's, it's a teen, they're teen, but I feel like it's got different voices, um, different, you know, representation on screen that I, I appreciated and thought was actually pretty cool. Hadn't quite seen this before. And I felt this was a return to form for these guys in my mind. And I think there's, if those who love their bonker horror moments, I think there's a couple pretty good ones in this, uh, and a couple good gore gags. So I am highly recommending this on Shutter. I watched it last night. And it was the thing I was most excited to talk about today. I was like, ooh, that was fun. Wow. Um, and okay. I needed one of those. So that's Candisha. That is on Candisha Shutter. on Shudder right now, which yes. I have been super excited to watch. Um, so last weekend, I went camping um, in the RV and I went up to Idlewild. And I didn't realize that the campsite there had no Wi-Fi, which sounds really lame of me that I'm like, I tend to like Wi-Fi while I'm camping. Um, But it is like, you know, we were there for three days and going without Wi-Fi is like going through withdrawal all of a sudden. Because literally, like I would go into town and as soon as I would hear my phone ding, I'm like compulsively checking Twitter and my email and Facebook and everything. Um, But since I was there with no Internet, I could not watch movies, which is one of my favorite things to do do while camping at night like i love unless just, elric sends you weird shit. unless elric sends me weird shit you know 
So I was sitting there and I was like, I literally do not have any movies to watch. Wait a sec. I downloaded Malpurgis, which Elric had sent to me um, a couple. He sent me the, the video file a couple of days prior and it was sitting on my desktop. So I was like, OK, y'all, this is this is what I got for the night. Um, and so my kids watched Scooby-Doo because I had a DVD of it. And I decided to dig into Malpurgis. Now, Malpurgis, Elric and I have been wanting to watch for a really long time because this is Harry Kumel's other horror film. Mm. Harry Kumel is um, the filmmaker of Daughters of Darkness, which is just epic, epic, like horror canon of horror history. It's just beautiful Euro trash at its absolute finest. It is so beautiful that Blue Underground just gave it a um, amazing 4K edition. Um, so this is one that's definitely considered to be one of the best horror films ever made art-wise. So I was super excited to see Malpurgis because Malpurgis was supposed to be um, much different, whereas Daughters of Darkness is really slow moving and just kind of dreamy and almost feels like a Jess Franco film. This I, I'd heard that Malpurgis has a lot more plot to it. Plus, mm. it's got Orson Welles in it, mm. which just immediately perks up my ears. Um, so this one, if you look it up on IMDb, it's actually under a different name. It's under Legend of Doom House. So that is the really? alternate title is Legend of Doom House. Um, but it's it was released um, most of the places as Malpurgis. This is a really hard film to find now. I think that there is a DVD release of it. but it was um, maybe a Blu-ray coming, but I don't know. It's not going to be cheap right now. Mm. But you can, if you look hard enough on the interwebs, you will find it somewhere. So the whole setup of this, and it's apparently based off a novel that I've never read, but the whole setup is that this sailor named Jan, it's, I think, Dutch, I want to say. Um, well, he's I should, a Belgium, I, Flemish Belgium. director. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Flemish, Jan whatever. Flemish, yeah. Jan is, he's a sailor and he is um they are docked in this one town for one night and all of his buddies are like yan are you going to come visit the prostitutes with us and at first yan is like no i don't i, I don't like this city i don't want to get off this boat i i just don't have a good feeling about it <laughs> and eventually he decides to get off the boat and as he's meandering his way through the town he reveals that first off he is from there and then second that he was born in this house there and it is like his family estate and he ends up getting kind of you know in a fight with somebody in the town and conked over the head and then he wakes up and he has now been taken to his family home which is in this town and it is this massive family mansion called Malpurgis and the patriarch of the family is Orson Welles and Orson Welles is dying and now that Jan is there, seemingly coincidentally, because everybody's like, oh, well, Jan's here now, they can continue with this kind of like planning of the family will, knowing that Orson Welles is about to die. And there's like 10 other family members there as well who all live in this mansion. And Orson Welles, as part of his will, says, okay, you guys can all share my fortune. You all get to be rich. But the rule is you can never leave Malpurgis again. You can never go outside. And the mansion itself has this very mystical like quality to it where it feels like a labyrinth. Like everybody's constantly discovering new rooms and weird stuff happening and 
it just feels off. And everybody's talking about how much they want to get outside, but no, the money. And the, his his stipulation that he makes is everyone has to live in the mansion and whoever the last one alive is gets everyone else's fortune and that last person is allowed to leave. And so everybody is very much like, I'm going to be the last person alive. And then shit starts happening. But you understand from the get-go that this mansion itself, that there's something different about it, that there's mm-hmm. something off. And that even these people, that there is something off about them, that this particular family is not functioning in kind of the regular world and that there's all of this other stuff going on. Like um, some of the characters have multiple names um, and some of the characters are, are, and they're all fucking, which is really weird. Cause I mentioned that they're all family thing. Mm. Like literally the movie, when he wakes up, from being hit on the head and you realize that he's now at his family home. He is so happy to see this girl named Nancy and he starts making out with her and like kissing her chest. And then literally he's like, my dear sister, I've missed you so much. And you're like, what the fuck? And it's that through the whole movie. This movie Brussels, changes Becca. Brussels. Brussels. Yeah. This movie changes like four different times. It has twist upon twist in every single one. I was like, Oh fuck. And then another one would come up and I'd be like, oh, fuck. And then it would twist back to the third twist. And I'd be like, oh, fuck. This movie was crazy. Just crazy. I did not see any of it coming. So it's not all set on the water like I thought. It's not aquatic horror yeah, in any capacity. Because all the pictures I've ever seen of it are always like a boat at at sea. No, that is the first 10 yeah, minutes as Jan gets off his ship. And okay. it never goes back to the water after Does that. Does it look good the way Daughters of oh, Darkness? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it's not Daughters of Darkness lush. Yeah. But it is beautiful. I mean, okay. most of it, the cinematography, you have to figure the whole thing is in this very stone, you know, cavernous mansion. So it's a completely different style than this very kind of noir, lush hotel where Daughters of Darkness is. So the cinematography, is just a much different style. That said, it still looks like a big film. I mean, this was a big film. It had to have had a huge budget. The cast is great. It's got Orson Welles in it. Um, and everybody is good. It just, it feels so sleazy yet there's a classiness to it and you realize midway through that they're pulling a great deal from greek mythology so it gets really heady as well and um goes in just interesting places i was not expecting it 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 is an odd film it is a weird film at Mm. times um but yeah it's I was fascinated through this entire thing. There was never one moment where I wanted to turn this movie off. It is way more plotty than Daughters of Darkness could ever want to be. Okay, I need to. I definitely need to see it. Um, but I was waiting for your initial review because I thought it, I totally thought all these years for years I thought it was kind of a mostly aquatic thing on the high seas or something. So now, okay. aside from the fact that he's a sailor and he shows up at the beginning and goes, "I don't want to get off the boat. Fuck this town." Well, maybe I'll get off the boat and go find Nancy and then make out with her. And oh yeah, she's my sister. And um, then that is just the opening the door for everything that is to come, and you will have no clue what is going on in this movie through the entire time and even when they tell you what is going on they're going to change that four more times before you find out what's really going on and it's just it keeps getting wackier okay well if you think that's wacky hold on to your hat kids because we're about to go wacky my skull's bleeding it's gonna bleed All right, so we're very excited about this. While 
James Gunn and Martin Scorsese are out there on Twitter fighting about Marvel movies, uh, the cinematic quality of Marvel movies. Uh, if you remember the opening of Blue Velvet, where we go under the green grass into the dung beetles. If you go below the dung beetles, you'll find uh, Harmony Crin's trash humpers. Below the trash humpers, you <laughs> will find the works we are going to discuss today uh, with guests Joe Zimba and Annie Choi of Bleeding Skull. Welcome, guys. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, so happy to be here. And the title of this one is Bleeding Skull, a 1990s Trash Horror Odyssey. Now, we had... Yeah, that's right. We had totally geeked out about your 1980s edition. And I think we had... Did we have Daniel on for that one? I feel like we, in some prior incarnation of a show, we had had the... We covered the 1980s Bleeding Skull. Um, yeah, and, and also we've done some Agva live events and stuff. Oh, Agva yeah. live events. So there's been a, a few crossovers, but that, that film we both took a lot of wrecks from, I think. Yeah, that, the 1980s book I know really did become like a checklist for us, um, especially Alric and I, where we were really kind of, you know, moving through it, trying to find some of the weirdest. Even like the SOV stuff is kind of a, a, a blank area for me where I have not seen as many of them as I want to. So it was just a wonderful little Bible for a while of watching weird stuff. Um, so yeah, did, I assumed you finished it and you were suddenly like, okay, let's go into the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were a little scared of the 90s, so it took a little, a little while to build up to it. So why was the 90s scarier than the 80s? I think that like everyone's pretty familiar with the 80s. It's like a well-loved decade of awesome cocaine movies. And then the 90s gets a little dark. There's a lot of obscure stuff. You have to look for it. Um, you know, things got a little bit more accessible to filmmakers, which is both good and bad um, in many ways that there was so much out there to sift through for us. And, you know, finding them all and uncovering them was a real beast. Yeah. And it's also a time when when people got self-aware in the 90s, which wasn't in the 80s. And so you really have to be careful that you don't step on a minefield of, you know, in jokes about I'm going on Romero Street to find the killer, you know, stuff oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that was actually kind of my first um, question. Like looking at the 90s overall, we can look at the decade and kind of say, OK, well, it was defined by like, you know, big budget CG stuff, a lot of like neo slashers. But was there a trend that you guys were seeing in this kind of underground of cinema as well? Oh, Yeah. A lot of vampires wearing trench coats. That was a big one. I think like there's like there must be thousands at this point of um, you know greasy haired, skinny white, pale dudes in trench coats with a thirst of blood for like not that much blood though. You know what I mean? Just a little dribble of blood. You yeah. sound so judgy about it. I know. I know. <laughs> we watch so many vampire movies because you know it's really cheap. Yeah. 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 Kind of hard to pull off. Vampires. (laughs) Anyone can be a vampire. And I feel like we were seeing a little bit of it, even on a slightly like more indie, a little bit glossier scale with like habit and the addiction and things like that. But then, yeah, definitely. um, I can see why that would be kind of, you know, the quick homemade version as well. Well, part of it, she brought up, uh, used the word uh, accessibility being a big change and like, the difference between these two books, let's just, one thing I noticed, which is the first book I'd seen, you know, probably 30, 40% when I first looked at it, and then there was lots to discover. And this book I've seen, I think I've seen two titles, 
<laughs> and <laughs> of three. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, we're talking a whole nother level. And I think the big difference is like, you know, we all, I think we all, you know, even if we make fun and, and, and like I was telling you guys off there, I think some of the writing, this is absolutely hilarious, like really well and not poking fun at it, like just kind of reveling in how wild and crazy this stuff is. But like, we respect anyone who gets a movie made, right? Oh yeah. Like, because it's hard no matter what you do, but it's definitely a lot less hard <laughs> in the nineties when you weren't shooting on film. I think, I think that's yeah. one of the big demarcation points right for so was that a, a big shift also in just trying to track this stuff down and find the work how, how do you even go about that process i guess yeah i think it was a conscious decision for the 90s book to go a little deeper than the 80s book because the 80s book was i mean there are movies like silent night deadly night in it yeah. there are theatrical films that everybody knows but in the 90s um you know, the underground exploded I mean, because of you know magazines like film threat and draculina and psychotronic um not only it's accessible to get a camera, but it's accessible to see what your peers are doing. Mm. And there's more of them and, and people are reaching out. So um, it was just so much more widespread. So we knew that we wanted to cover that. Um, wow. So how do you find this? Yeah. Stuff? Like, because I, there was one, we were just talking about a film called the ghosting that you guys uh, discuss in here that a listener of our show years ago, reached out to us about saying in his town, there was a guy who'd put all his money into making this one movie and, you know, wanted, wondering if we could help uncover it. And I still haven't seen this film, but like, I can't find the ghosting. And I, I know some of this is through whatever means, you know, possible, but in general, how do you start a process of trying to see the things in this movie? Cause I personally like to think of it as like an Indiana Jones style hunt of like yeah. buying like old storage <laughs> units and like it belongs in a museum type mentality. That's why Zach's not here, right? Zach <laughs> is somewhere else, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's working on the next book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a lot of intense research. It's my favorite part of the process for bleeding skull is the research and the hunt and finding the movies and making lists and organizing spreadsheets and seeing what we have. And then it's, um, it's going down every rabbit hole that's accessible to you. Like, so old magazines, letterboxed YouTube, um, lists from people trading with people, just every single thing. It's like any resource should be open and you look at any resources. Yes. I got to like go down that and see what I can find. Um, so I think it's just years and years and years of collecting and researching and, building up these collections of movies, you know, and it's great because we finally have something to do with them after having them. We can finally say like, okay, I've watched almost every nineties movie in my collection now. Thank God. I like, I did it. So it feels really good too. Oh my God. Does it rewire you? Are you different? Because <laughs> I only watched. I am definitely different. I'm not the same person I started, I started this project. Well, you- I love your review. Annie's reviews are the ones that actually, like, I love all the writing, it, but yours are the ones that make me laugh out loud the most because what you, I don't know if you do this every time, but a lot of the ones I was reading, you somehow contextualize something normal in life, like your couch or just something at the start of each one. And then you slowly pull it apart to where in some a totally bizarre parallel oh, yeah. world but i've always got something i can cling to at least about normal life and i appreciate right. that but i mean like once you get to the end of these i only watched one today and it somewhat re- we'll get to it a bit it kind of rewired me it felt like they were trying to reinvent cinema's language i had a headache for an hour afterwards like that's what, had some literally effects. elric texted me and was like i tried to watch a movie and now i have a migraine and i'm like right. how does it. that even happen and it's like, I'm watching it, but is it watching me? It was that kind of feeling. <laughs> like, like, literally, there was a lot of text. He cut to text a lot of times telling me what was happening in his movie. And so I felt he was watching me. So anyway, so I'm just curious, like, what is the effect of watching these, like, back to back? Did you have to, over a long period, did you have to, like, really mix it up with other stuff? So is it, the, or did you just kind of 
completely immerse yourself during the period? Well, I have an approach of eating dessert first. <laughs> so I watched all the amazing titles first. Oh, yeah. And then at the end, I left some of the longer ones <laughs> that were a little harder to get through. So it definitely changed me because like I had a blast in the beginning and then it got, it got a little harder for me because I, I wasn't so good about, yeah, 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 I got a little slaggy, but um, for me, I, we immersed ourselves. I, I like, I think it's safe to say like, this is what we worked on for two years, yeah. collecting, watching Joe's the master of the spreadsheet, by the way, finding, find, he scrapes, he finds, he gets the movie. I don't like, He's like the master of eBay at this point. Um, and then is it that just, an official title, Joe? It's the master, master of, of eBay. eBay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's his <laughs> it's the highest title I've ever had yeah. in my life. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, and for me, it was just watching. You know, every week it was my job. Wow! Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I think uh, for me, I kind of saved the weekends for Bleeding Skull because during the week it's like work, and then. My work is also in films, so I wanted to make sure that I wasn't completely burning out on everything. Mm-hmm. So the weekends would be completely immersed. Basically, I would try to do like, you know, two to three reviews a weekend, and then it would always spill over into the week. But yeah, tried to keep things separate. Now, what were your qualifications for a film being in the book? Like, you know, how did you gauge when it was like too mainstream or too big or became too commercial versus, okay, this is like the perfect sweet spot? Yeah, it's uh, it comes down to almost a case by case basis, and I think also like our tastes and what we like. Um, we knew that we didn't want anything that was made by a studio that had a theatrical release. We wanted it to be all underground and all DIY stuff this time around. But we did have like a hard stop on like horror comedy and ironic films, like anything that was just like not strictly horror. It was just like it, it's, out. it's out. Yeah. Um, but it, it kind of came, I mean, cause you, you, you know, you make a list like this and you have so many movies, it's like, you have like 600 movies on it and you have to parse it down because you can't write a book. That's like a thousand pages about, you know, obscure nineties horror because everyone will fall asleep. It's like, just, it's too much. So, um, yeah, it kind of came down to like our personal likes and what we wanted to cover. Um, but yeah. I think if these were straight reviews, like, you know, well, Psychotronic was always, I always liked those reviews too. But oh, gosh, them, yeah. but if it was too straight a entry, like a film entry book, it, it would be pretty painful because A, most of us haven't seen them. So you don't want it to be totally spoiled. Uh, and, and B, they are, you know, some of them are things you'll never see. So I think some of these reviews kind of speak for themselves in a lot of ways but then some of the ones like some of the ones where you're saying things that should drive me away are doing like the one i think it's at the very start i think there's part one two and three where they're like three and a half hour long things in the forest and the guy keeps walking five dark souls like you need to see this now That broke me. That That's was the last say. movie that I reviewed. Oh, oh my okay. god! So you broke in and then you wrote. <laughs> no, but there was a spreadsheet that we had of all the titles, and um, you know, Joe and Zach got there first. <laughs> and I like to say that there was a little bit of a land grab, and I got there near the end. And then there's this title on there, the next to it, that said 172 minutes. Oh my, <laughs> my gosh! <laughs> Zach wrote that it was like 172 minutes. Ha 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 ha. (laughs) So having not read that passage in the book yet, what is the story behind that one? Like what compels somebody to make a 172 minute movie? 
Good question. That's that's the sequel was 172 minutes. Don't forget the original yeah, release. This is a good one. I the remember. first, which was it's like 140 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the first one was also quite long. So did you get the backstory behind this filmmaker and why he decided that he was just, you know, gonna go on for I am assuming it's a he at 172 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just a broad <laughs> speculation. No, so yeah. Um but yeah. Yeah. I mean he's a very sweet man. Uh, I think I think it's like he filmed it. I believe while he was in college. Is that right, Joe? Do you remember? I think so. Yeah. 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 So I think at University of Wisconsin, I think. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Jason Paul Collum. Okay. University yeah. of Wisconsin has a good film program, I will say. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And they made um, his career. And it's a lot of it's um, clearly, you know, shot around campus. Um, the actors and, um, and, and the crew were clearly either classmates or dorm mates or whatever, you know, anything that ends in mate. And um, it was also filmed over a really long period of time, which what I do love about his movies and all, any of these movies that are quite long is that you can actually tell they put so much work into it. I mean, this was years. They're, the people changed shape. <laughs> they, they grew beard. They grew older. It was snowing. And in Wisconsin, it just snows for days and years and months. And then it's summer and there's like no 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 kind of talk about it you know so you can you just know that they were just doing doing this by any means necessary and i really really respect that movie i mean it is very long and this i can't stress how long it is the second and the second movie is a literal rehashing of the first one so (laughs) you don't need to watch the first one to to get the second one yeah i really wanted as soon as i you know you start flicking through this you're like oh i would watch the four-hour documentary about all these filmmakers yeah. in a heartbeat, you know, as yes, a companion. Absolutely. But but you guys do include a lot about the filmmakers and how much of how much is it of that those like little anecdotes and those stories about how these people did it that keeps you guys going? Yeah. Oh me? Yeah. Oh, that that keeps that like our interest. It keeps you, yeah, it keeps you interested because for me, it's I mean, obviously the obvious mainstream mainstream version is uh, American movie in terms of the oh, yeah. kind of a story, right? But he's still shooting on film yeah. and it's a little earlier, yeah. but like that kind of myth, I think it inspires a lot of us. Yeah. I, I always find that film inspires film students a lot, you know, even though mm-hmm. it should be scaring you away, it's mm-hmm. pulling you closer, just like a lot of these Yeah, things. or but even in I'm the... Ju- and, and if there's any stories like that you guys came across worth sharing. Yeah, or in the same boat, like, yeah. Eric and I talk about demon, my demon lover diary a lot and how yeah, the, it's the great. same oh, for it, like completely God, like... Yeah. You know, yeah. it should be pushing Incredible. you away from film, but at the same time, you're kind yeah. of like, I, I want to do this. So I'm going to give my finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Levan yeah. <laughs> cutting his finger off. Yeah. Um, I think that um, it's 75% of what makes these movies great and interesting in this book, because to me, the most interesting stories are the one told by people who are, have the fire in them to tell the story and to make it happen. You know, it's not people making Resident Evil 4, which I love. Um, it's, you know, people on the fringes um, telling their stories because they have no other way to do it. Like, that's their outlet. They have to do it through making this film. And I think that is such a huge part of all of these movies and, and learning about the stories behind them. Um, and as far as uh, stories go, I mean, I think my favorite one is from Limbo and Tina Krause. Um, when I found out, you know, we started... When I discovered Limbo for the book, I'd never heard of it before. It was just something I'd collected and was like, oh, this will be great for the book because there's so few women, you know, especially in 90s underground horror, like so few women making films. 
And I watched it and I was so fascinated by it because it was uh, not what I expected at all. And it was a totally different type of movie than anything else in the book. And then I liked it so much that we reached out to her and talked to her about releasing it with Agfa and Bleeding Skull, which we eventually did and released it on Blu-ray. But when we first started talking to her, she told us this story um, about the making of the movie that was incredible that when she finished it, she had submitted it to a film festival under her name and it was rejected. And she was so angry and pissed off that um, her friend was like, well, why don't you just submit it under like your dad's name and see what happens? Mm -hmm. And she submitted it under a man's name and it was accepted and it won. It won like best picture at this convention. And so when she accepted the award, she went up there and it was like, fuck (laughs) you. Um, So I love stories like that because it enhances everything about the movie. When you watch it again and you realize what that person went through and you know, their life, it's, it's great. It makes everything. It's like American movie is such a great example that you brought up. Cause it's exactly what it's my like. Day cause you, cause uh, about three weeks ago, uh, the guy I do the other podcast with Brian Sauer, he handed me a copy of limbo. I had no idea what it was. It's sitting on my oh. shelf. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Get to watch it and I'll give it to you, Becca. Thank you. Yes, I do want to watch that one. That was one. Um, I kept a checklist of all the ones in here that I really like have to seek out. And that was one of them. So. Oh, yeah. There's one that one that jumped out. Like, it's also interesting because when you all it's not that you're all agreeing. I mean, there's one called Ozone that maybe may come up when you guys start talking. I'm very curious mm-hmm. to hear a little bit about. But I do want to I realize we jumped in because we're so excited. I want to dial back. Just quickly, in case people have no clue what Bleeding Skull is. Yes. Because I was actually, uh, I kind of, I discovered the website before I ever Mm -hmm. saw the first book. And I was going on there again today and reminding myself, there's also these lists that you guys made, like 50, uh, 50, you know, something weird titles to look for. 50, you know, best films of that year, this year. And there's some really great material in there. Just so, what what are the origins? Uh, where did where where did you guys start? Why did you guys come together to start Bleeding Skull before we get into the the deep dive of the nineties? Want me to take this one, Annie? I don't want to talk too much. I want to make sure that you, but I'll I'll hand it to you. I'll tell the origin. But yeah, the origin was really simple. Actually, it was, um, I was collecting a lot of movies. I was on tour with a band at the time. And one of the things I like to do is go to video stores and liquidate their VHS sections. Because at the time, this is like early 2000s. They would, they were like three, you know, two for $3. The tapes were like $1.50. And I was getting these insane movies that I had no idea what they were because there wasn't a lot of info out there. And when I started watching them, and one of the linchpins was a movie called Boarding House, oh, yeah. um, was one of the ones that I first watched, then I was completely just, you know, my feet left the planet when I watched <laughs> that movie. And I, I was so blown away. And um, I had never written anything um, like creative writing at all. Um, but I just wrote, I was like, I have to write about this. And so I just started writing down about Boarding House and what I liked about it. And then as I started doing, you know, research online, the little information that there was, it was all people making fun of the movies. And, you know, it's like so bad, it's good, even way back then. So I decided that there should be a place where um, these movies are written about in a way that from appreciation and celebration. And, and if I did that, maybe there'd be other people out there that felt the same way. Um, so I just started the site, uh, Bleeding Skull, and it was originally supposed to be a portfolio site for my design work. Um, and then I was like, this is stupid. Who cares about my design work? I'm just going to do this. Um, and so, yeah, it became a site and I, I posted 50 reviews for the first when the site went up in 2004. And then it just kind of grew from there. Um, I, I think because I was so obsessed with it and it was such a happy place for me. It was just such a, a joy and happiness to write about these movies and have an outlet to share with people and meet people and talk about them. Um, and then Annie, when you finally joined on when we were doing the first book and you ended up editing the book, um, I think that was when it really shifted into something like, 
oh, there's something else here. This isn't just like a hobby. There can be more to it than this. And um, I was really inspired by when Annie, you know, came to the table, it was like, you came from such a different perspective and you've always been about, um, you know, I was, I always wanted to find voices that weren't being heard, but you brought it to a whole different level that I wouldn't have thought of from your perspective. And that was what I really admired. So now I want to back up and yeah. get your backstory, um, both of yours. Um, so kind of like how, you know, were you video store kids? Like, where was this like an eternal horror love? Were you watching these films in the 90s? Um, so, yeah, I'd love to kind of hear both of your your kind of origin stories. Yeah, I got it. I got into it a bit later. I worked in a video store in college and in high school, but it wasn't a colon. It was a blockbuster, <laughs> which now people are nostalgic about. I'm like, but blockbuster put all these mom and pop places out of business. Yeah. Everyone stop, stop feeling nostalgic for this terrible company. You know, Elric and I have discovered when just having people on this show, the amount of us that worked in video stores, because both Elric and I worked our way through college in video stores. And, um, you know, that was, it was just the film nerd jobs. So yeah. Yeah, that's just what you said, yeah. Well, all the people um, have that. Anyone who's a discoverer, like I, I find there's some people who are more nostalgic viewers who want to watch their favorite films over and over. And then there's some people who would like, which I can already tell you guys are, because <laughs> you have to get through so many, you always want to find something else. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just want to keep exactly. going. It doesn't mean you won't have favorite film. Um, and video stores are like the best place for yeah. that, you know, even right. a blockbuster. It's- right, right. You find a cover, you're like, I don't know what this is, yeah. definitely going to watch it. And it ends up, you know, being a romance, even though on the cover, there's like a, you know, a three-headed monster eating a baby. And you're like... Yeah. Satan's touch. <laughs> Satan's touch. And the, the front cover is a woman with fire behind her and red eyes shooting out. And it's a movie about a guy's gambling problem. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm so into that. Which I'm also drawn to. So I, both things are appealing to me. I'm like... <laughs> like, imagine like, oh, this looks amazing. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, this guy just needs to... Go to Gamblers Anonymous. I think I as soon as I, I was thinking of Satan's blood as soon as you said that, and I was like, "That's not a romance one. That's the Mexican oh, one no, that, yeah. watched, that we watched earlier yep. last year, Elric. That was like oh, four people right. in a house and a giant orgy, and that was not a yep. romance film. So yeah, not a um, but romantic, but okay. so romantic, very oily. Um, but anyway, so you were working in a blockbuster, and and did that kind of reshape your taste? Yeah, I did. Um, I definitely was always interested in like horror and low budget. Um, it really kicked off um, in the aughts, I would say, with, you know, those Brentwood packs that had like 50, 100 movies mm-hmm. on one pack oh, right, right. of all bootlegs and started finding major discoveries there. And then I met Joe and I'm like, oh, here's this other person who, who knows this plus like so much more and exposed me to way more. Do you remember titles. the first thing he showed you? I'm always curious about if you can ever I do if it was something insane to you, Joe. I remember. Yeah. Uh, yes. You tell me. There were two, uh Double Agent seventy three, the Doris Wishman uh, movie. Right. And then um uh Black Devil Doll from Hell, the Chester Turner movie, which I, now I cannot believe I did that. <laughs> you are linked forever with those two films. Yeah. I think me, me and Becca's first movie together was Possession. So Possession, yeah, these things have, yeah. have real power, and that's ten years ago. So. But yeah, and then I think yeah, Elric, we like immediately ours. Our big connection has always been the Hunt. Like we will literally like even just this past week, yeah. Elric sent me a copy of the Harry Kamal film Malpertis, which I talked about at the top part of the show, and that's something that we've been hunting for years that we finally found a copy of and got to watch. So yeah, it's always just about the Hunt for us. 
but but to, but I know we're saying Malpertus to you guys. Everyone at home's going, "What's that?" And you guys are going, "Oh, that's like that's Marvel. like a Marvel movie." Like <laughs> no, everybody no, knows no. Belgian production. That's a can in 1973. Orson, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> uh, Joe, I don't know. No, we know yeah. you guys believe that. We just uh, and Joe, were you a video? You, you work in a video store too. I never worked in a video oh. store. Um, and during that age, I was a librarian. Where I worked my way through college as a librarian, <laughs> so it's kind of it's like a video store, but not as cool. Thing. It's still the the media yeah. nerd quality. Um, like I've always yeah. like if yeah. I did not pursue film, I think librarian would have been my backup career. Um, just yeah, yeah, yeah me yeah, too. I would have just gravitated towards it. And I guess yeah, I mean, the film archive, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Agfa is definitely a form of a library, right? A, a preservation. Oh, of course. And, and so yeah. maybe just t- tell people because you know, every this is a you know we we got an old show. This is a new show. Some listeners have, haven't heard of Agfa, you know, and it, and some of the work they do and you guys do is really important to the kind of stuff that a lot of these our listeners who like deep cuts. It's really important because mm-hmm. these films can definitely disappear. I mean, I'm, I'm also when I'm reading through the, your book, I'm like a lot of these films are not accessible, right? They're, they're, mm-hmm. They could literally disappear forever, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so you need organizations who do save these things. So maybe tell us a little bit about AGFA. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So AGFA is, uh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I, I'm the creative director of AGFA, and I've been there now, I think, full-time at AGFA for about four years. <laughs> and um, it's just continu- never ceases to blow my mind what we get to do at AGFA and how we work as a team. It's a very small team of five people, and we're a, we're a nonprofit. We're the world's largest nonprofit film archive and distributor. And um, really, I think what we do is very similar to Bleeding Skull in that we, you know, we make sure that films that are uh, endangered, uh, film prints and films themselves are accessible and are shared in the world and supported. Um, there's a lot of different aspects to what we do, but, uh, most of it centers around theatrical distribution, home video distribution. Um, we also do lab work. We have a full, uh, 4k scanning capabilities and, um, we're accredited by the Academy. Um, Sebastian Del Castillo is head of, uh, restoration at AGFA and he is incredible. In my opinion, like the best in the biz, he just does incredible work. Um, so yeah, AGFA is just a very pure and real and, and good thing in the world. And I, I'm just so grateful to be a part of it every day. It's uh, it's something that I would do for free. And, you know, I, I work constantly at AGFA and I don't even notice it because I love it so much. So it's a really, really great thing. And you guys put out the films criterion too, right? of genre. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> it really is. It really well, how is. does AGFA yeah. find yeah. its titles? Because again, I immediately picture like Indiana Jones style, like it belongs in a museum type work. Um, like how do you find, you know, Tammy and the T-Rex or whatever the title is? for that particular round. Oh yeah. Well, Tammy came, yeah, Tammy was an interesting story because that one was back when the Alamo was doing screenings. Um, I had a series called Video Vortex that Annie also hosted in Brooklyn. And um, one of our coworkers, whose name was Zane, uh, he was part of the video team at Alamo. He was like, hey, have you ever seen Tammy and the T-Rex? And I was like, no, I have not seen that. And so he let me borrow it. And I was so blown away that like two months later, we played it at Video Vortex and it sold out across the Alamo system everywhere. And then Brett, who is uh, Agfa's head of theatrical, talked to Joe Rubin at Vinegar Syndrome, who is one of our theatrical partners. And then OCN, who's their parent company, also does our distribution for our home video releases. And Brett was like, hey, you should probably take a look at this Tammy and the T-Rex because it did huge at Alamo and it was it was like a great thing. And he was like, oh, I'll look into it. And then a year later, you know, the Blu-ray was coming out and uh, it, it really did well theatrically for Agfa. To, you know, it's like one of our titles from Vinegar Syndrome. 
And um, it was so great to be a part of, you know, reintroducing that that movie to the world. It was just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Elric and I went to um, a secret screening that I think Brett hosted here in LA. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, We got invites to it. And I was so excited because I had seen it when I was a kid. Like, I remembered it playing on, I want to say, like, USA um or one of the networks it was like without the gore without the gore like when the gore came up i was like that wasn't in the original i saw um but elric had no idea what he was going into and and it was so big it was like watching beverly hills 90210 gone bonkers and i was (laughs) like how does this exist you know i still can't but there's yeah brett we've we've been lucky to do a few screenings with brett on the usc app what during the pandemic and brett's always you know fountain of you know, info like you guys too. Um, the other one I can't remember if it was Agfa that you guys discovered was was it you guys who came across the astrologer back in the when it first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that one was just so random. We used to do this thing called the Real One parties um, at Alamos, which is Agfa Real One party, which is we would play the first real. We would just pick four or five random prints from the archive that none of us knew what they were, and we would play the first reel. Oh, cool. And then at the end of the night, the audience would vote on which one they wanted to watch all the way through, and then we'd come back a week later and watch the fu- the full movie. And um, the astrology was just one of those random movies in a pile at Agfa. We just had happened to have the only prints in the world, and uh, yeah, it it, uh, <laughs> it really took off after that. <laughs> that screening I went to of it, yeah, it was at the Cine Family before it was gone. I just re- mm-hmm. it was like one of the one of the loudest screenings I've ever. But it, it yeah. really did feel like watching to that director while he was making that. That was a Citizen Kane like movie to the filmmaker you know you could oh, feel yeah. it and yeah. and yet and it, was, and it was hilarious and had some incredible parts but but then it's been very hard to see right it's not a film that's yeah very accessible. and i ended up because i had heard about this um after the screening and i ended up getting a completely different the astrologer movie yeah. um which i think was put out by yeah. severin not as exciting yeah. as i've heard this one is yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah. i mean it <laughs> yeah and to clear up the astrologer for anyone that's listening um everyone always writes to us and says like why isn't it coming out you know it's just the moody blues music and it like the moody blues don't care actually it has nothing to do with the music it's just owned by a studio oh. so uh they want a lot of money they want a lot of money yeah. so that's that's basically the story with that movie so i mean i would think is someday eventually it'll be released but yeah. who knows yeah yeah and that's the other thing you guys watched a lot of these for the book alone i assume or <laughs> or in small groups right i'm imagining mm-hmm. and they are some of these movies are so different with people and and and, it, yeah. and it's not the so bad it's good thing doesn't just doesn't wash because it's something else like the experience of watching you know uh a night beast is obviously a, a slightly different level than this but like when i if you see night beast with other people it is unforgettable if you watch it with yourself, it's it's actually that one's still unforgettable. But <laughs> I was going to say, I watched that by myself and I was still pretty in awe of it. So, the the yeah. love scenes are still pretty great. Love scenes with the curly hair and the mustache. Okay. Uh, yeah. Can I can I get this towel off? Yeah. That's a great line. Yeah. But I mean, the the obviously I know for, there was a long history of like say the draft house of was it weird Wednesdays or mm-hmm. yeah and, yeah and a history of show, showing movies like these in groups of people. But obviously the experience must have been quite different alone is it is how did you did you guys find could you still found the entertainment values as you went solo or did you sometimes have to mix it up with you know people to get through some of these i definitely watched them with some friends um hmm. a few titles but most of it was on my own yeah. i think it's I think I, by now, I have a good kind of sense of what would play well with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain elements that you can count on. Um, that being said, audiences always surprise me. Um, you know, which is great. 
because I keep them on my toes. But in general, I think with this book particularly, like I knew what was a gem. Absolutely. That would play well in front of people or just in front of your friends or just by yourself. So are there any that were in here that you were just like, oh my gosh, how is this not a Criterion Collection film? How has this not (laughs) blown up and become like, you know, the Citizen Kane of the 90s horror scene? Like what were some of the titles? Yes, let's get into some recs. What are some of the the recs? And then I'll tell you, I'll reveal the one I watched today because it might be one of, I'll wait to, in case it's one of your favorites, I'm going to, I'm going to hold out. And then I like this yeah. game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I gave you a clue that there's lots of text on the screen telling you right. <laughs> what happened to the special agents. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, I mean, there we have lists in the book that we recommend. Um, uh, you'll find them when you kind of flip through the pages. But there's a few. There's definitely some standouts that we all agreed on. Hmm. Um, for me, I really loved. I was a teenage serial killer. Sarah right. Jacobson. Um, I, I actually recorded that off TCM. That, that was on oh, TCM hey. one night, and yeah, I couldn't yeah. believe yeah. it. Yeah, we lost our minds at AGFA that 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 they played. We were just in awe, but uh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. No, that's a movie that, um, you know, when we say something like trash horror, it doesn't mean trash as in bad. It mm-hmm. means DIY, budget. It's not a judgment call in these movies. Yeah. Um, I Was a Teenage Serial Killer is a next level. It is. It has a message. It's super passionate. It's it's got, it's angry. Um, I think it's really relevant to today. It's certainly relevant in the 90s. So that one, to me, tests the time. Tests, it passes the test of time. Um, it's, I highly recommend it. It's Sarah Jacobson. She, she left us too soon, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but she certainly left the mark. She was a, a riot girl filmmaker, just so much passion and so well done. And also just seems like a legitimately talented awesome genuinely cool person where you were like fuck i wish i could hang out with you you would have mm. been my best friend and that one is an ag for release right <laughs> that is yeah yeah you can get um sarah jacobson's complete filmography on one disc it's called the films of sarah jacobson awesome oh. um and then on the other side of that is <laughs> the pure cocaine value of like just we're gonna put all the drugs in one cup and then you're gonna drink it and you're gonna love it uh would be the suckling okay oh, yes. okay so yes. i have okay. not seen this yet but um we were doing a show with brett and a couple other people um right around the time that vinegar syndrome was starting their sale last time we were showing winter beast that was it That's and right. um and i said give me a couple of wrecks of movies that i haven't seen but they're just bonkers and somebody said the suckling, and I have purchased the suckling, and it is still waiting yes. for me. So I have to watch it on a double with four months, three weeks, two days. I always <laughs> that, that is the double feature that will put you off life forever. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! The suckling is one of those movies that is so much smarter than you realize. In that there is tons of special effects. Everyone's a total asshole in it. You know, no one looks good in this, just, except for maybe the lead woman who's just a total victim. But it it really, there's amazing special effects, incredible practical, like, goopy. It's so goopy. I mean, this, like, stained every carpet it touched. Um, and then, you know, it's about, a, it's about abortion, but it really toes this line. Is it pro? Is it anti? Like, you really don't know. And it dances so nimbly around this issue. And I just thought it was fucking genius. Like it, it really tried to do both and and I think it really succeeded in that reason, but it's also an incredible piece of film of just entertainment, message, script, cr- just 
craziness. And it's about an aborted baby that gets thrown into a sewer of toxic sludge and comes back and wants to, wants to return from once a king. Wow. No spoilers, but that. I love that yeah. sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. It, it actually feels pretty big as a movie, weirdly enough. Yeah, it's like kind of wild. Like just curious yeah, because like thinking about the 90s and how, you know, everything was like social messaging and trying to change the world and, you know, raging against the machine and all that. Um, <clears throat> was, you know, were you seeing a lot of social messaging kind of put into these underground films? Was it something, because I mean, I am a serial killer or I was a teenage serial killer and the suckling both sound like they do have that kind of larger social messaging behind it. So was that something that you were seeing a lot of or was it kind of sparsely populated? I would say it was sparsely populated um, for me, at least in my titles. And I think Joe would agree with that too. Yeah, Um, for sure. Which is why when you saw it and saw it done well, it really stood out. Um, yeah, Limbo is the same thing. That's the same. Yeah, it, it falls right into that category. Really stands out because of you know what what the filmmaker is saying. Uh, and Becca, for Fangoria fans and you, I believe I've read that Michael Gingold is the monster in the suckling at parts for parts. Are you serious? Uh, longtime Fangoria writer. Yeah, I'm I'm ninety percent sure he was definitely on it for some part <laughs> of it in the. In the creature. Wow. So, oh my gosh. As I was for Lizard Man one day, but that's late 90s, <laughs> that's or 2000s, and then it's just not as good. It's nowhere near as good. <laughs> wow. But no, I'm pretty sure he oh did. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, I'm going to have to ask, ask him. him that. That's awesome. But that movie is, it does feel like a Lost Ten and Lauder thing. It's like, it's oh, as totally. wild as yeah, that. Totally. You know? yeah. That's cool. Oh my gosh. Any other titles that are kind of like the, you can't miss this one? Yeah, we can go back and forth. Yeah. 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 Um, so since I already talked about Limbo, I'm going to talk about Conrad Brooks versus the mm. Werewolf, mm. I don't know. which is a David the Rock Nelson movie. And um, if you don't know who, if you're listening, you don't know who David the Rock Nelson is. The best way I can describe it is he is a, uh, a guy from the south side of Chicago in Des Plaines, Illinois, who decided when he was in his early 40s to kind of give up on society and do what he always dreamed of doing, which was making monster movies in his backyard with a camcorder. And as his filmmaking went on, it got increasingly more meta and self-reflexive and uh, mostly focused on what he was eating and doing during the day, more of a diary. But his, his really early stuff, like Conrad Brooks versus the Werewolf, is his first attempt at like a feature-length film. And it's, it's, the mo- it's the one that most resembles an actual movie. But um, I think from, for my money, it's one of the most magical movies in the entire book because it is a cascade of... Um, true intent and adventure and magic and hilarity um, of a a guy, a, a middle-aged man with a werewolf mask running around and terrorizing three brothers who are all six, in their 60s and 70s at that point. One of them was 80. So it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like super repetitive and bizarre. And it truly feels like it's from the twilight zone um, shot on video. And uh, yeah, it, it ends, it culminates in this guy, Conrad Brooks, who stars in it, who is a uh, you know, star of Ed Wood movies in the 50s. Um, it culminates with him rolling over David the Rock Nelson in his werewolf mask. He's in like his like, I don't know, Chevy, you know, rolling over the werewolf back and forth and yelling at the werewolf and screaming things like, this one's for my buddy, Edward A. Wood Jr. And you know, it's Edward D. Wood Jr., but that is part of the magic of the movie. So, um, yeah, it's just nothing else like David the Rock Nelson. And that, that movie is his most pure. I okay. feel like, yeah, I have not heard of was that there a box set of Dave Nelson movies a number of years ago? I feel like there needs to be, no, if not. I wish. Um, 
Just because yeah. he was one of yeah. my discoveries in grad school where it was like, I, I suddenly, oh my God, this exists. It was like discovering what oh, recipe all of a sudden. And you're like, how are these even being made? It's just one dude. Um, but yeah, it was just, yeah. it was a phenomenal. And selling them on the L out of a plastic bag. Seriously? That's how I met him. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. encountered him. I was living in New York and somebody had passed me a bunch of his titles and I ended up kind of burning through them. And I have not seen Conrad books. So this would have been like his aughts, um, the stuff that he was doing in like oh, the yeah, 2000s, yeah. which was really self-reflexive. It was a little bit darker um, than I've heard some of his early stuff was. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's, there, he's got an aesthetic, which is weird saying, you know, when it's one guy with a camcorder in his backyard, um, <laughs> yeah. but there's definitely, things yeah, there's a style <laughs> to it. And he himself has like a, a set character style that goes along with it as well. <laughs> yeah, he does. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I guess, uh, and also I did want to mention that these recommendations that we make are like, you have to look at them on a different mm-hmm. scale because it's like, you can't go into these expecting like, you know, this isn't from beyond. This isn't like, you know, th- these are like, you know, the, the pacing is all different. So I think like the scale for our recommendations at Bleeding Skull is very different. We always, most expectations. We refer to it as the vinegar syndrome um, on the show a lot <laughs> where it's like, you know, it's, it's a different type of movie and what is there is it's a different type of movie but there's still but they put out psycho killers killers up here (laughs) Uh, but no but it's true and and they are different like i said some are different with audiences Mm -hmm. too like i've seen Mm -hmm. i I think i've even done letterbox reviews where i'm like you know one star movie four star with a crowd though because this you know Mm -hmm. like you feel a whole different energy um can i ask you about the one ozone is ozone going to be on anyone's list because i'm so curious i don't know what it was about ozone reading about it that made me want to see it but then there was no easy way to see it so yes i love that movie what is what Um, is what maybe just what is the summary of ozone why am i and why do i know this filmmaker i have to google it but jrl bookwalter is it's really familiar name i would say he's like the if we were all in high school he'd be like the student body president okay he's just like (laughs) he's like he's professional at what he does he cares about what he does he gets other people he like elevates other people's films you know he's produces mm. other people's work oh, okay. but in this diy space mm. so I'm this is the sweet the sweetest he's man so sweet you know yeah. and he's he's still doing it you know and a lot to be lot to like mad respect for him but ozone is this great movie of um the i guess the quickest summary would be there's a drug on the street that's turning people into like melted zombie alien types mm. um like viper or something it's like a <laughs> or like a trash viper player. yeah but like but uh more obese maybe mm. <laughs> it's like street <laughs> trash but more obese. <laughs> yeah it's like more carbs and yeah yeah okay. so like uh the the special effects on the makeup effects in it are a real standout and oh, cool. um you know it's it's got a black lead which is amazing mm. Thank you, Bookwalter, for representing people of color in your movies. Um, so it's it stood out for to me for that reason as well. But in addition, it's just it's so ambitious, and I feel like the script moves, the movie moves again in the context of these DIY movies. But mm-hmm. it is, I think, just really ambitious, and you can just tell how much work and care. I mean, it's really done on a shoestring budget, but you can tell that he like edited it really well. I mean, it's the thing that it really resembles a, a, 
like a, a, a movie. And I mean, yeah, it's like a baby Cronenberg movie, like yeah. a shot on wow. video. Okay. Yeah. Baby Cronenberg. Is I'm in. Yeah. And is that one yeah. out there anywhere to see, or is it? Yeah. You know what? He actually just released a Blu-ray oh, of that. Cool. Um, and I'm, I think it's Tempe video. That's his site. Um, I think you can That's get it, but I that just came him. out last okay. year. He runs Tempe. They used to do stuff. With yeah. Yeah. Go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay, that's why I know that name yeah. cool. so well. But I will definitely hunt that down. That sounds yeah. It, feel, it feels like there's a missing space in the streaming verse for a channel doing a lot of these types of mm-hmm. movies to keep them mm-hmm. alive, to keep the keep it fresh, you know. Um, but it, but you know, it is pretty deep cutty. But you know, a book like this helps as a guide to get through. So, you know, where to. Turn the it. one that I'm curious about, just because um, aquatic horror is my jam. Tell me about Psycho Pike. Oh. Psycho Pike. All right. I really wanted to watch so, that this week. Too. I know. I was, yeah. so this is the one that I was suddenly like, I'm on eBay, like looking for Psycho Pike. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now we're traveling into Canada. So just heads okay. up. We don't have a lot of pike. Um, so we're here. in Canadian um, water. So yeah, that's that's a very uh, that's a very Canadian fish. <laughs> so is it good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a. It's a. Um. I would not recommend it for someone that's taking a first dip into movies like this. Um, if you're going to jump into the lake with something like this, you know, you want to not psycho pike, but if you have seen a lot of these and you are, you know, you're just, you need to consume these movies. Eventually you'll get to psycho pike and you'll probably have fun watching it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a Canadian movie and it is very Canadian in that it is, um, it's similar to movies like things and science crazed where it is just, uh, it is, it's very like drony and sludgy and it's kind of like just people going about their business, but it more resembles like a real movie with that aesthetic. Mm. So it is, it's just like, it's kind of like blood hook where it takes place at a lake and there are people getting killed by something. But in this, it happens to be as giant, you know, mutant fish. You, um, you sold her so hard. You totally did. I know. <laughs> I know. Like you have me at mutant fish. Once you've dived into Blood Lake, then you get to the Pike. You're good. Yeah, so there's not direct correlation. Start with the Blood yeah, Lake. Start, start yeah. with that. The mainstream Blood Lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mainstream is anything you guys have put yeah. out. <laughs> you know, Blood Hook is so overdone. Psycho Pike's where yeah. it's at. Yeah, um, but I actually had a question about some of the production companies that you talk about in here, like Wave Productions, and there's a couple of others where it seemed to be like these production companies that existed in the '90s, or even like J.R. Bookwalters. Um, because I know he has a couple of titles in here. Were there a lot of kind of these small independent underground companies that were just churning out title after title? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, that was one yeah. of the, the ways we also found these movies. Like once you see you see titles come up, there's Tempe Emeritus, um, Trust in Us. That's Touch Sheets. Touch yeah. Sheets, yeah. Um oh, Draculina. Draculina, yeah. So um Falcon Video. Were they making Wait. any of them making bank? Because like some of the movies where you look at them, you're like, I don't know if they're selling them like out of their car. But then was somebody like the Herschel Gordon Lewis of of this world, like who was actually supporting themselves? Um, I would say if anybody was, it was probably Todd Sheets in the '90s, just because he was uh, he was also such a large personality. So he was doing pretty much self releasing everything. And doing a lot of work. I mean, as you can, if you flip through the book, there's a lot of Todd Sheets. I just in there. literally flipped um, the page to the shivers, um, and there's Todd. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say he would be the closest to someone like you know Al Adamson or okay. Herschel Gordon Lewis from the olden days. Um, but yeah, there were a, a lot of companies. Um, 
and it's it's weird too because a lot like Wave was um, you know had a different purpose than they other companies. You know, sexy. like most companies. Yeah, they were uh, they were fetish videos, and they were they were um, custom. So they were there were people that would reach out to Gary Whitson, who was the filmmaker, and say, "I want a lady wearing a plaid skirt, drowning in quicksand, and then I want a vampire with no shirt and a leather vest looking at her." And that would be like forty five minutes, and that's what they would make. So uh, you get a lot of like the wave stuff is endless there are so many i mean he's made hundreds and hundreds wow. of them and he's it still going like today girls before that that is crazy where you can like request yeah it. yes yeah. yeah um but there are a few i think the ones we chose to cover in the book were the ones that were more accessible and that felt more like real movies because we started to get into them and i, I think zach and i were like we can do one wave review and then that's it. Like we have nothing else to say, you know? So we just picked the ones that were our, our fa- quote unquote favorites and went with those. Um, but yeah, so wave was like a different beast. Most of them were just, you know, young people wanting to make, follow their dream and make horror movies. And that was the only way they could get them out was to start their own company and place ads in Psychotronic and Draculina magazine and film thread. What about, uh, cause you guys have talked about some that you liked and the message and suckling, I think I know qualifies as this, but were there any, just on that holy fucking shit kind of like in terms of a scene or something that's just unforgettable burned in your brain type movies that you'd recommend any, any of those. I mean, I know there's probably hundreds of, of those moments in some of these movies, but any of those that you'd want to highlight as Phil Blankenship calls uh, mind melters. Yeah. The mind melters. (laughs) Yes. The mind melter. Uh, There's a short called bad karma. Mm. Um, It's from the UK. Hmm. Very DIY lot of ambition, but it is, um, how, how do I explain this? Dinosaurs uh, invade a barbecue <laughs> and then uh, they're paper mache dinosaur heads. And then uh, m- they meet up with some Hare Krishnas and they get into a fight. They get into it. And then they end up going to a, what is called a spank house, which is exactly what it sounds like. And they deploy something called a butt saw. Oh, shit. Which oh. Is also exactly what it sounds like. Oh. Uh, that movie has so much flavor. Wait, it's <laughs> short? Like, it's like how? It's a short. Uh, it's like 40 that. minutes. All of, that. all of that. Yeah, 40 minutes. Yeah. It's so much flavor. Wow. It's all delicious flavor, but it is. The butt saw is, is delicious. It's, uh, it's a spicy <laughs> movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I think the best part is that, you know, they're from the UK, but they're trying to do these like redneck accents Oh, nice! at some point. And that's just, that's always, that's always. Now, how do you find right. that movie? Like, is that something that's on YouTube or was this like an eBay hunt or just reaching out to people in the UK? Joe found uh, That one in particular was a, there was a, a UK DVD released in the early 2000s and it's out of print now, but that's how we got that one from back in the day. <sighs> oh my gosh. It's amazing. Bad karma. All right, Joe, okay, what about Mind Melter? I think for Mind Melter, um, I will preface it by saying that this movie is a total, like, sludgy, like, you know, slog, but I love it because um, it's called Herencia Diabolica. It is a Mexican slasher, hmm. and it is burned into my brain because it's a child's play ripoff, but instead of Chucky, it is a uh, three-foot-tall clown Ooh. and um, a clown who terrorizes a child and makes his way into his life. And there are a lot of shots of like close-ups of the clown's face. And he's like, the clown is just like a really old man, uh, like in makeup. 
and it's uh it's horrifying it's just <laughs> it's so it, it brings it to another level because you're watching it like ha 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 like there's this like killer clown that's supposed to be chucky but then as it goes on the clown starts doing things that are really disturbing and he pops up and it's just really mysterious the way that they present him and there's all these kind of like weird video effects happening and like hallucinogenic filters and it just gets really weird and and it sticks with you that actually i mean that's a good side question is just like were there other countries that you know obviously video democratized you know worldwide but were there any interesting countries that had films in this because i didn't really notice too many of the non-american ones but did any pop up that surprised you any like any weird Finnish SOV or anything like that? German. We got a lot of Germans okay, well, represented. That, that, ex- uh, that I expect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we had some uh, Permittos, Lord of the Living Dead, I believe, is the full title. That one. Is it Olaf Ittenbach? Is yes. Right? Yeah. Um, that Talk about Spice. That's another. That is like world's squishiest Mm. Gorious. What's I mean? It's pro- probably the goriest movie that's. What's the title of that one again? Promuthos, uh, Lord of the Living Dead. Promuthos. Promuthos. Okay. Yeah, maybe next to like his first movie, The Burning Moon, which is also yeah. in the book. That's also real intense. Yeah, yeah. Comes yeah. Horror, was, but it's definitely there to exploit. But it's yeah. uh It is super gory, and it's. Just all so German. I like that you open yeah. it with "Do you I, remember Gushers, the fruit snack?" Yes, I do, and now I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in in terms of other countries, I think we did consciously decide to focus mostly on the American scene because it was so mm-hmm. widespread, mm-hmm. and we felt that. You know, there's so much happening in India and everywhere. I mean, the 90s exploded everywhere with horror. And I think if we would have tried to make it bigger, it just would have never ended. So I think we had to, like, cut ourselves off. So we tried to include a couple of key titles um, from each that were, you know, from other parts of the world. But for the most part, yeah, we focused on the American stuff. So you're open to satellite international blood bleeding skull people to send in their... Their racks. Oh, from- please. Yeah, please. That's that the best. To be the yeah. next title yeah. of the next book is uh, The International Ones, The International yeah. Bleeding Skulls. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So uh, without giving any more away, what movie did I watch? I, I think you already, you guys are going to get it. I'm going to, I'm going to, do you, do you know what movie I watched? Copious Based amounts on of, text of text on the screen. A special CIA agent. And I would say there's mutant radiation stuff and an extended fight scene on a grassy knoll that goes on for about 25 minutes. There was a breast fondling for about 10 minutes where apparently the director had to stand in for the actor because they were dating or something. Any idea? It's pro- I think it's one of the better known ones, I'm guessing. A guy by the last name of Sue Kinnick. Carl. Oh, Carl. Oh, Alien Beast. Oh, oh. Yeah. Ah, Alien oh, Because uh, this wow. one, you know, when I saw the in the picture in your book, I was like, wait, I know that movie. I, I, I think I saw that back in the day because <laughs> the cover looks like a real movie. And then I watched yeah. it. It's not. Don't be sure it's not a real movie. No. Oh, my God. Uh, that was what I meant by trying to reinvent the language of movies. Like, yeah, it's, a whole it's funny. I, I reviewed that and I was like, what are you talking about? Because it's like because it's so it's so assaultive. You know, it's so. You're just not prepared for any of it, and and you keep it, you keep watching it, expecting for it to t- turn into a movie, and it doesn't. 
You know, it just keeps going. Every like and going. eight minutes. The, I mean, the coolest thing it does, which I, a sometimes over the cuts, you'll actually hear the people off camera go, "Okay, we're about to start." Like, which are is, you serious? Oh, wow, yeah. so you're not used to anymore, right? Like, uh, and we teach film, and we still even our student films are to get rid of that. But, uh, but every <laughs> it'll have like a burning face alien or a weird striptease by a woman, but then it'll just keep cutting to this old guy sitting in the corner of the room just staring like he's staring at TV and it keeps going back to him like it's building him up. Is he going to be a character? And it just keeps cutting to what feels like stock footage and it never is explained or goes anywhere. Yeah. And it's really yeah. fucking eerie. Like it's a weird yeah. and, and it's cut to like negative reversal video. Mm-hmm. And by the, and then a lot of it is just described what you're not seeing through mm-hmm. these texts saying this happened. And it's just, I didn't know what I was looking at. Like compared to, yeah. you get so used to movies being structured a certain way. That this is throws all that out the it window. It shows so. you another way. It's another, <laughs> way. another way. I know. I know. There's makes, another way through. So is there perfect to fill your pandemic? Yeah. Is <laughs> no, this this is a total pandemic filler. This will give you yeah. years of of just what the fuckery. Um, but is there a two thousands version of this? Like, does this type of underground cinema still exist today, or was this something that was kind of fueled by VHS culture and accessibility? I mean, it's definitely in the thousands. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I would say it exploded times thousands wow. in the thousands. Like it is. Yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah. yeah. I, but is the stuff as watchable, like in the way that you guys are talking about? Because I know exactly what you mean by the wink. As soon as it's being made, like yes. I'm gonna like as soon as somebody utters the phrase, I'm gonna make a shitty movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, the movie I, becomes shit, I, every single right? time I got a press release and there was definitely a stretch when I was like first starting at Fangoria in the mid 2000s where every week we would get a press mm-hmm. release from a filmmaker who says the next Ed Wood and I was like don't yeah. do that you never that's that. because yeah. Ed Wood was the next door he was trying to be Ellison Wells <laughs> so stop doing that <laughs> yeah 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 it just becomes an easy touch point for people to be lazy and yeah. you know so it's probably yeah. harder to find some of the stuff. I feel like in the 2000s, yeah. it was also this trend of like trying to remake the grindhouse. Um, like right after, oh, you know, it was I definitely <laughs> yeah. remember yeah. that phase where it was like every other week yeah. we would get some. And some were perfectly watchable. Like I remember one called Run Bitch Run that I was kind of like, wow, I'm almost amused for parts of this. Um, and then there was <laughs> other ones where I was like, oh, honey, no. It was just, yeah, there was. Um, but I remember that, you know, let's put the cool filter on everything so that it looks scratchy. Oh. Uh, we so need a God, I, I was just going to say that because you can clearly tell that it's like high eight video footage, but then there's <laughs> fake film filters from iMovie oh, yeah. on it. And it's just like, like no. Like, oh, so maybe yeah, it's the yeah. nonlinear editing system that ruins the movie, right? Like, because it's too easy. <laughs> like, it's all too right. easy. At least in the 90s, you had to do if some takes. you still had to, like, cut on the steam <laughs> back, then it's, then it's yeah. okay. Right. So... But well, uh, this has been a blast. And any last, any last titles you want to throw out before we go? Obviously, people, we want people. We wanted you guys here because we had both bought the book. We're both truly excited to like pimp this. And I'm not kidding. Like, if you watch the movies or not, I think some of the funniest film writing I've read personally in a very long time is in this book. Like, I, I was literally kind of. I'm not a big laugh out loud guy by myself, but I was because I was just. It, it conjured up memories of also being a kid mm-hmm. trying to make movies. And the innocence of what you do, your ideas, um, obviously not all of them. But. And I will say, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I do think that's what all the films do have in common is there is an innocence. There is a genuine sincerity to the films. There's not a single drop of irony in this. Yeah. And I will say that's if awesome. it, if it yeah. was, it's, it was out, you know, like yeah. we don't want 
anyone trying to make a bad movie because like that's just lazy as fuck and yeah. we're not really behind that so this i mean every we every title for better or for worse you know not every title is a, is a success <laughs> but we know that the work that went behind yeah. it was you know what we wanted to capture and make sure that people understood it's so it's beautiful in that and i mean even just like as a movie lover there are many titles in this book that i will not watch that i'm just like i don't I need to hunt that one down. Um, I need that two hours of my life. But at the same time, I love reading about them. I love yeah. reading the history behind them and knowing that this exists and it was going on and that, you know, these filmmakers with this passion, you know, how they got to this point. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful history, even if I'm not going to dive into every single one of the titles. Exactly. We dove in for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I also love that you guys went color with this one. Full... And like it looks beautiful, but really, and it's like for the like it looks better than their movies. Yeah, like seeing lunch meat in color is beautiful. There's like yeah, something about it; it's just gorgeous. So yeah, um, so thank you guys thank for this, you. and I will be first in line to buy the next one. So you guys have to keep going, um, keep curating these these amazing collections. And my sole gripe, because you always have to end with a gripe, is where, why, and how will I get a bleeding skull T-shirt? Because every time I go right? inside, I'm like, how is there not a skull that's bleeding for me to wear so I could be proud about loving yes. the skull? So I'm throwing this at you, Joe. So Elric and I want okay. t-shirts. And um, I yeah, want a we need okay. to make that happen. Okay. So, yeah. I promise I will do that. Okay. I, I have to do like one project at a time because it's basically just me with all that stuff. Okay, so, so we'll put this at the um, top because it's clear. Because I promise you <laughs> we will do that. Yeah, yeah. We, we have some downtime now, so I promise we will did, do that. Thank did you. Did the, the title, uh, before we end, did Bleeding Skull come from a reference from it, or was that just you, like an idea that you wanted oh. to design? Uh, it's from an old comic book ad oh. for a Bleeding Skull candle. Oh, oh yeah. I know I know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that, that needs to be the shirt. Yeah, you know? I think so. it needs yeah, to be I the know. shirt. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I still have it, the scan, yeah. Oh, very cool. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's, it was super fun to get to talk Oh, my gosh. Again. And thank you for and solving. You for and I have to tell this story now. Thank you guys for solving my 20-year oh, yes, yes. um, splinter in my brain. So it's not horror. So I wasn't even going to talk about it on the show. I was going to ask them before they came in. But um, back when I was in high school, um, my mom used to let me order just random shit out of the back of Fango magazine. Like literally I was sending people, I have no idea who they are, just checks with like a list of titles. <laughs> literally that you would write to the companies in the back of the Fango and then in Filmtronic, um, Psychotronic did it as well. And, and Draculina and all of the good, like, you know, pulpy, um, horror magazines. And you would write to these random people that wrote like, I have thousands of movies, send me a copy for, you know, send me a dollar for a Xerox list. And then they would say like five bucks VHS. <laughs> and via that, I received version um, series one and series two of this collection of, I can only call them short films that I'd never been able to figure out the title of. And all I could remember is that it was one older white dude like I feel like he was in his 50s or 60s and they were short films but they were all supposed to be like jokes so like you would see um the Chiron would pop up and it would say baby on board and then it would just cut to him like nailing a cabbage patch kid to a board um and it was just like little punchlines like that and for so when I was home last I guess it was last summer um yeah it would have been last summer because of the pandemic my friends and I were suddenly like remember those movies that we used to watch and it was like an unlabeled VHS tape. And we had we kept thinking it was called Mad Movies. And we kept Googling that and were never able to find anything. So at the top of the show before we started, I asked Joe if he had any clue what I was talking about. Because if one person would know, 
he would fucking know. And he remembered it was called hmm. Moron Movies. And now I have to figure out who the hell that guy was. Because it's exactly what we've been talking about, where it was like one guy with a camcorder, like shooting these things in his garage. Um, and he made two sets of them. So now I'm even more It intrigued. takes all kinds. Yeah. Now I'm totally curious. The world is a great place. What guy this was making these little movies and, and how I ended up with a bootleg copy of it. So, yeah. So thank you. Oh, and I have to find the ghosting. That's the, the other ghosting. Thing. So if you guys can aid in the ghosting, I need to find the ghosting. Excellent. Lifelong. Oh, story. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll shoot you an email. Okay. We'll get it to That's you. That's awesome. Yeah. Because we, we are. All right. Well, enjoy your list. downtime, guys. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Really oh, thank you. We're just so grateful to be here and talk to you both. It's been so much fun. Thanks, thank guys. you so much for having thank us. You. All right. Thanks, guys. So you can find Bleeding Skull. I got mine on Amazon. So y'all need to go pick up your copy. And trust is- me about their website, too. Bleedingskull.com is, I think it's bleedingskull.com. It has so many cool lists and just interesting stuff on it. I love it. Oh my gosh, yeah. So if you have not been checking out our Deep Cuts, please um, check out Deep Cuts, our Patreon show. Plus, we put up amazing cheat sheets every two weeks um, where we're just listing kind of the most bonkers films that we can find in a lot of cases. And um, yeah, our next Deep Cuts, I'm going to be talking about a lot more of the titles from Fantasia, as well as some weird stuff that I've been had sitting on my desk, including the suckling, maybe. Um, I feel like I really need to get the suckling. We should save some of the Fantasia for the big show and, and yeah. put some more weird stuff in the deep but whatever suckling whatever you um, want to do um, but I will remind everybody that Elric and I will be at Midsummer Scream in Pasadena doing a Saturday afternoon live show talking about our favorite scariest and most possibly realistic alien movies with Jonah Ray um, who I'm excited to see in person as well as some other people it's been a long time since I've seen people in person yeah, no, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun, and that is going to be a fun topic. So I got to get my brain into aliens. I also um, have not plugged um, creepy bitches. I released a book um, during the. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah, I probably online, plugged but it. Not on here, maybe. But yeah, right, so yeah. Um, yeah, I um, during the the last month, I released a book through Bear Manor Media called Creepy Bitches, um, co-edited by myself and amazing horror journalist Lise Wax, who I love dearly, um, and it is just a collection of some amazing horror journalists horror writers and i did plug it last show i remember now um but That's if right, you have I not said just what i was going to say which is i watched movies and ate potato chips while you put out a book, <laughs> wrote, so, wrote a yeah. book. So um i didn't write the whole thing I amazing know. women wrote the book yes. um but yeah i i just kind of collected and curated and everything with elise and yeah that was that was it was it was our pandemic project we had the idea to do it and it started reaching out to people right before the pandemic hit um where we were just starting to like email chelsea and you know a couple other people and bj and being like hey you know if we put a book together would you like submit a chapter and then once the pandemic hit elise and i were like okay well i guess we're doing this now because we don't have a shit else to do so um yeah if you got to do something during a pandemic it was yes it was a wonderful um thing to put out so yeah that is creepy bitches and it is also available on amazon awesome Sweet. Okay. Well, we hope to see all of you at Midsummer Scream. Thank you so much. Check out our Patreon show on Deep Cuts, and we will be back in two weeks with some amazing writers um, from a film that I can't wait to see at Fantasia. Unconfirmed, but we're hopeful. Oh, no. It's going to happen. I feel good. I feel good about this one. Put it out in the world.
The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soff of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 